Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hi there, how are you? It is a Tuesday. My name is Jake Query. Jimmy Cook here as well. Eddie Garrison. Uh, Eddie's big time. He did this show for one day and decided to step out and let Graham come in to be mentored. But Eddie Garrison is here as well. And before we get into plenty of talk about the Colts, and we have a lot to talk about today, and I appreciate you joining us. I I don't want to be like, here's the thing. I'm not a diva, right? I love 459 Barber Lounge, for example, to pamper myself, but I don't think of myself as a diva. But Eddie Garrison, lighting guru engineer yesterday, decided that to, I guess, to enhance, and I appreciate everybody that watched on the YouTube page yesterday, but to enhance the experience for the YouTube audience, he put up this uh, frezzy Glamour Shots light. Like when you go to Glamour Shots in the mall and you get your hair all done up with your Aquanet and they take photos of you. And this thing, I have very sensitive eyes. Part of my, my gorgeous blue eyes is that they're very sensitive to light. So will it look bad if I wear sunglasses the whole time? I don't think so. Let me see here. Do I look like an idiot? I mean, it, it feels much better for my eyes. No. Yeah, I, I, I would... Uh... The, the word diva could be thrown around with the shade look. But I'm protecting but, but, my eyes. But, but I get it. There's a purpose to it. I understand that. And you've explained it to the audience. So I think you have a pass. Eddie, I'd like you to come over here real quick if you could. Eddie Garrison, <laughs> the Millennial Falcon, is going to come the long way for whatever reason. Um, so basically, just so, so everybody knows here, the way this studio is laid out, I'm essentially sitting in like Atlanta. Jimmy is basically sitting in Phoenix. Eddie was standing in Chicago. And I said, Eddie, can you come over here real quick? And he came over to me via seattle that made no sense whatsoever but eddie i need you to stand right here to my right and look into that and tell me if it bothers your eyes like does that bother your eyes at all no okay well eddie doesn't have the the beautiful blue eyes you don't have the soft blue eyes that i do i feel like though there could be a risk of how honest that was as he was the producer that set it up he's not gonna trash his own work when i worked in television these eyes were my were my money maker don't you kid (laughs) don't kid yourself but it was very difficult for me to look into camera lights So I'm going to wear the sunglasses. Uh, Jimmy, good afternoon, man. Let's get caught up on what's going on in the city of not-so-brotherly love, Yeah, exactly. So joint practices, and you think it'd be just kumbaya, people that are business? Of course not. This is from Nate Atkins on Twitter, at NateAtkins underscore. We have a fight. Jalen Hurts hit Kenneth Gainwell to dump off path. Zaire Franklin cracked him to the ground. Jason Kelsey sprinted over to crack Zaire to the ground. Both teams run out in what Nate has described as a 150-player scrum. That was the end of practice. Uh, Dio Dengbo is, is cited as some unpleasantries that he sent uh, Jason Kelsey's way after the fact. Uh, update from Shane Steichen post-practice press conference. Shaquille Leonard did not travel with the Colts to Philly. He's still in the concussion protocol. And then, oh, by the way, Anthony Richardson getting the start on Thursday against the Eagles. It'll be a case-by-case basis for which other starters for the Colts get the nod. Uh, On the program today, by the way, when it comes to talking about the Colts, the progress of Anthony Richardson, the situation with Jonathan Taylor, which we're going to get into, and how it all comes together, uh, somebody that I think would be able to offer a very good perspective on that, and I was illuminated a little bit as to that perspective um, on Friday night when I ran into the 1990 number one overall pick, Jeff George, who came into the Colts in a similar situation the franchise kind of handed over to him and the manner in which that franchise was handed over and the pieces around him, I think personally are applicable today. I know that it's football is a different game today. I get it. 
to an extent. But in terms of everything that goes into being a franchise quarterback and a young one at that, Jimmy, there are only, realistically, when it comes to this franchise, there really are only three quarterbacks that can relate to what Anthony Richardson might be feeling. And that would be Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, and Jeff George. Those are the only three. Chris Chandler, as a rookie, had a really good year. And they ended up trading him and then going with, I think it was Craig Erickson and then Steve Walsh and then Harbaugh ended up here. But Chandler wasn't brought in under the pretense of this is going to be the guy. Those other three were. And so I can't imagine the pressure that goes into that and just the reaction time and the the processing of everything. And I thought Jeff George would be able to not only shed light on that and that perspective, but also Jeff George early in his career as a young player had a running back that was not pleased, that held out, that was that missed camp time, and that ultimately basically forced a trade. And seemingly that's where we are with the Colts. So I thought he'd be able to shed light on that. The other so, perspective, if we have time for it, is looking back at you know the 14 seasons where Jeff George battled in this league, Minshew's in a similar boat of the mentality yeah. of trying to survive and thrive in the league. And, and he went through that in multiple stops, continuing to fight to be an NFL quarterback. And how do you stay motivated to continue to day in, day out, year in, year out, to try to chase that dream. And in addition to that, I think George later in his career had situations, Chicago comes to mind, Seattle comes to mind, where he was brought in to, to mentor a younger quarterback. And, and, you know, and that mindset, right, to your point of what percent of it is I want to be the starter, what percent of it is I understand what my job is. So we'll have that conversation about 25 minutes from now. Uh, let's begin with the big news from yesterday you know the Colts in Philadelphia of course Thursday night their preseason game with the Eagles but Jimmy yesterday the news comes out that Jonathan Taylor and I'm confused by this okay I have been very open about my academic shortcomings and my intellectual stunting okay let me tell you an area where I'm very confused, and I'm going to say it rhetorically and put the onus on you to explain it, not anticipating that you would be able to explain something that I myself cannot. Okay. The Colts yesterday, it was released via Adam Schefter, which I think that probably comes from the agent side. But either way, the report, Jonathan Taylor has been granted permission to seek a trade. Now, I find something in this very befuddling. Okay. Who dictates trades in the NFL? Who executes trades? Ultimately, teams and teams. A relationship between GM and GM. Correct. So, I've never heard of a player going into the front office and going, Hey, good news! I just talked to Arizona, and my buddy Larry is over there. He's a receiver. Larry's a good guy, too. We put, good guy. Daughter's a real nice kid. And and Larry wants to play here, and I want to play in Arizona because my mom's boyfriend just bought a condo out there, and I'd like, and they, they wanted me to be closer to home. So Larry and I have decided that we are going to do a trade. Has that ever happened in the history of the National Football League? So when they say Jonathan Taylor has been granted permission to seek a trade, isn't it the job of the front office of the Colts to begin hearing things out? And to the for the Colts, like the Colts are the ones that are putting Jonathan Taylor on Craigslist, right? Yeah. 
Jonathan Taylor is not putting himself on Craigslist. The, the personals are not allowed on Craigslist anymore. You can sell possessions on Craigslist, but you can't sell like yourself on Craigslist. So in that capacity, my immediate question was, what does that mean exactly? So I would like your interpretation. What does it mean when they say that Jonathan Taylor has been granted permission to seek a trade? I want to operate underneath the assumption that it was not just the agent that did this. This is an agreed upon thing between team and JT's reps that he can seek a trade as I'm explaining this. My thought with it has always been the Colts are not going to be actively placing phone calls this time, but they have now made it publicly known that we would be willing to move on from him if the offer's right. JT, we're going to keep our feet up here. If we get a call for you with a reasonable offer, perhaps we'll take it. Your agent, though, it's his job now to go about and sniff around and see if you can find any potential offers that we might be interested in so it's kind of like meeting him halfway, at least from the Colts' perspective. We're not going to go make that deal, but if you want to go hunt yourself a new destination or if someone calls us for you as something we can't refuse, then we'll go ahead and do it. When you were a kid, sure. did you ever – and I'm listen, somebody's probably going to get mad at me and, and, and say that I'm making light of what is a serious situation with a lot of young people, so hear me out here. But when you were a kid, did you ever threaten – did you ever tell your parents you're going to run away? No, I threw out I hate you before, but never okay. I think a threat to run away. So there's always like the situation like when, you know, a kid's like, this is it, I'm running away. Like, you know, I, I'm going to go live at Matt Churchman's house because, you know, his <laughs> mom lets him drink grape Kool-Aid all day long, right? And you pack up your little knapsack and you're like, ah, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm running away. And, or, or like, you know, you're going to go camp out in the backyard and live with the wolves, whatever, right? And after like 30 minutes, you realize you're like, this sucks. And you go back home and you're like, you know what? Like, I actually kind of miss like, you know, sam the cat and you know like the brownie the dog and so like i think i think i do want to live here right but you but your parents kind of sat there and smirked and let you go out to the backyard because they realized like you're Call not even gonna, you're not going to get past the yeah. neighbor's house before yeah. you realize it ain't so bad here yeah i think what we are seeing you have a running back in jonathan taylor that wants upward of 16 million dollars a year okay reportedly you have a running back in saquon barkley that got $11 million a year after basically a holdout. And Saquon Barkley, by all account, Jonathan Taylor, a wonderful player. Saquon Barkley, by all account, by most people considered to be a bigger weapon than Jonathan Taylor. Not by much. We're talking Boardwalk and Park Place. We're talking Penske versus Canassi. But there is a gap. Yeah. Okay? So, Jonathan Taylor comes and says, I want $16 million. The Colts are like, okay. Now, Jonathan Taylor, at no fault of Jonathan Taylor here, but Jonathan Taylor, in reality, is like a Hummer. Like when Hummers came out in 2005, 2006, everybody loved them. They were awesome. You could, These things are awesome. They can like drive over the Egyptian pyramids and across sand. They're unbelievable. And look how cool they are. And they're durable. And like they're super, like everybody wanted one. Then they come out with the Hummer 2 that's like a more practical, smaller. You can take it to the grocery store. Wonderful, right? And then gas with the 475 a gallon. And now you never see Hummers anymore. That's the running back in the NFL in 2023. Jonathan Taylor's a Hummer. Looks fabulous. Can do everything. Versatile back. Doesn't catch balls, but but I'm talking about can, can break to the outside, can run through the tackles, can seal, seal away games. There's a lot to love about Jonathan Taylor. There's nothing about him as a running back or as a person that has been an issue for the Indianapolis Colts other than, other than health, maybe. But the reality is the game has changed. Yeah. Just like 
fuel economy and efficiency for people in the American culture has changed. Jonathan Taylor is a Hummer, right? And so the Colts know that. So Jonathan Taylor comes to them and says, I want $16 million. And the Colts say to themselves, well, you're not going to get $16 million, but okay. And so he decides to play hardball. And so in doing that, the Colts then say to him, you know what? Go ahead and get your knapsack and go see if you want to live at Matt Churchman's house. And you're going to find out that it's probably not as much as you think. And so what the Colts have done now is masterfully and brilliantly in this chess game, they have put now the onus on Jonathan Taylor. You go out there and see what's out there. So now when Jonathan Taylor comes back and is like, well, the best offer we got was a, a second rounder and a fifth rounder or his agent or whatever, they can go, well, hey, so if you're not worth, if you're not worth to another franchise a first-round pick, then why do you think you're worth $16 million to us? They backed him complete and painted him completely into a corner here. And in addition to that, if the Colts now, Jimmy Cook, decide that they're going to trade Jonathan Taylor, which they could, but if they do, they now have, from a PR standpoint, given fair warning to the audience that this is a possibility. After their owner three weeks ago said, I'm telling you now, like, no way, not now, not October, not for a Janis Joplin drum set. He's not going to be traded. That's all wiped away. And where they stand now is, yes, it's possible. So you Colts fans, be aware it's possible. But if he is traded, it's going to be because they found something to get for him. But I think they are well aware of the fact that he's going to find out that his market value is – he is. they are cementing to him that the market value is, in fact, what they've been trying to tell him it is. We talked about this from afar over the last couple of weeks, which is that no quarterback – or no – team rather is going to pay a running back the type of money that he's asking for he's not going to get anything in the range of 16 to 20 million a year and that's part of the burden that a team trading for him is having to grapple with is what do we want to give up for him in return knowing that we're going to have to deal with a negotiation period with him at some point in time and you mentioned yesterday and i don't know where exactly your stance on it is it's better than nothing in terms of finding something to trade for him but for me there are lines to it like if it's a fourth and a fifth round pick is all a team offers for him. I don't know that I would deal him for that. I would need a, a package of picks that includes, this might be low ball in the Colts too, at least a third rounder within whatever type of trade package is being offered. Jimmy, I think a third rounder is possible, but I feel like that's also ceiling. Yeah, I would agree. Look at what McCaffrey got. I mean, it. And McCaffrey is a totally different back, right? A, I mean, a better complete back, totally, an all electric Hummer, totally. to borrow your analogy, where, where maybe you can find a better and, way to use it. Well, here's the other thing. You're right. You're right. I mean, McCaffrey is, that's exactly right. He is a hybrid Hummer. Jonathan Taylor is a Hummer that gets 14 to the gallon. But here's the thing McCaffrey also, not only, was, not only is McCaffrey more versatile, and again, I want to make very clear. None of this is like a knock on Jonathan Taylor. Like you can be a guard and not be near as good a a, a point guard as Steph Curry and still be a pretty darn good guard, right? But McCaffrey not only – I mean, Carolina hit a home run because not only were they able to trade McCaffrey, but they were able to trade him to a team that saw McCaffrey as their final piece in a a very – with an offensive – mindset that's like mad scientist stuff 
Taylor, I think his limitation makes it a bigger challenge to find the areas where you can do that and to find a team willing to give him up. I, I, I realize it was 25, hard to believe, almost 25 years ago that Marshall Falk was traded. But Marshall Falk, as I mentioned yesterday, Marshall Falk still had MVP season and Super Bowl appear multiple Super Bowl appearing seasons left in him when the Colts traded him in an era and a time where the running back was even more prioritized than today and they got a second and a fifth you know Cook and Elliott are two guys that have pretty stout resumes as running backs and in in Cook's case still has some years and mileage left on him and it's not like when he be, when he was released by Minnesota that he was signed the next day, right? Yeah. Like, he went on eBay and people were like, "Oh wow," and then it's like, "Wait a minute, this has been this has been on sale now for twelve days, and no one's bid on it." So the market just—it's unfortunate for Jonathan Taylor, but that's just the reality of the market. But now the question becomes, which I will pose to you. Is there any way that this drama is a hindrance to the progress of Anthony Richardson? Outside of him not being on the field, no. But the actual like negotiations and the back and forth, no, I don't think I don't think it is. Because let me offer you a, a different perspective. And this doesn't happen to me very often where like I'm walking and all of a sudden an epiphany just hits me. But I was walking and this epiphany like hit me. And I thought, now see, if I was an organized individual, I'd get out immediately and like type this out and remind myself of it. But I did. Do you ever have, do you ever have dreams, by the way, that you're speaking in a foreign language? No, I don't think I have. I've had dreams before where I'm speaking in a foreign language. And then I want to write down what I was, because then I think to myself, like, I wonder if I really am dreaming in a foreign language. Like I'll have a dream that I'm in, in Germany. And I'm having a fluent German conversation. And in my dream, I'm saying to myself, like, this is unbelievable. I had no idea I'm fluent in German. And then I say to myself in my dream, well, but Jake, this is actually a dream. You're not really fluent in German. You're just dreaming this. So then I say to myself, I want to write this down to, so that when I wake up, like to, to then run it through like Google and find out if, in fact, I'm repeating something that I heard in German, like at some point what, along the line. Was it gibberish? It sounded like German or was Correct. it Correct. Or is it gibberish, German? right? Yeah. Wait, we don't get a German accent? I know you're big on accents, so uh, we don't get a German accent? The only German accent I have is Eddie. Thank you very much. The only German accent I have is this. Uh, 1995, playing Sega Genesis basketball. My buddy Mike Hillary was playing with the Sonics. And that, that game had a new wrinkle in it where players could get injured. And Detlef Shrimp, I've told this story in the air before, <laughs> Detlef Shrimp got injured and Mike Hillary went, ach, mein Enklin. <laughs> and so, and I've actually, when we had Detlef Shrimp on the air once, uh, I think on this radio show with Kevin, we actually had Detlef Shrimp say on the air, ach, ach mein Enklin. That's the only German I know. <laughs> but regardless, I never remember to write down the foreign language to find out whether or not I'm actually bilingual in my sleep. Sure. When I have an epiphany of a point i very seldom remember to write it down but i had this epiphany today is it possible i don't think so but is it possible that part of the colts hesitation and locking in jonathan taylor long term 
and part of their openness towards trading him this year. Maybe Jim Irsay was totally opposed to trading Jonathan Taylor. Maybe Jim Irsay said, Chris, Shane, we need this kid in the backfield because we are trying to groom Anthony Richardson. And is it possible that Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen finally had the epiphany and said to Jim Irsay the following? Mr. Irsay, you're right. He's a wonderful player. And you're right. Jonathan Taylor's a guy that can give us 1,500-plus yards. And you're right. Jonathan Taylor's a guy that when we're ahead in games against New England, we can hand him the ball, and he's going to run 80 yards and cement the game. And the crowd goes crazy. You're right. And you are right. So long as Jonathan Taylor's in the backfield, Anthony Richardson has the safety net of defenses having to be honest coming towards the line and stacking the box, which allows Anthony Richardson then to find Michael Pittman and to find Alec Pierce and to find Josh Downs or whoever it may be. But we have him for one more year under contract. We can franchise tag him one year past that. And then at that point, we probably are going to let him walk because the price tag is going to be too high. And because he is going to be entering the downside of his career right at the time that we anticipate Richardson getting on the escalator to the upside of his career. So the timelines don't work out. So if we're not going to have him in his prime at the prime of Anthony Richardson, is it possible that we are better off trying to get assets for him so that we have a running game that actually allows defenses to give more stunts and more looks to Anthony Richardson so that his acclimation period to the realities of the NFL of teams trying to shut down the passing game are taught and shown to him earlier and the learning curve is steeper for him from the get-go so that there is no acclimation a year and two years from now and rather everything that he's going to see that's going to be a challenge is going to be up front and we are taking away his safety net and we are taking away his crutch is there any chance that that's the mindset I don't think it is from Jim Irsay but if I'm Chris Ballard Jimmy I have to look at that right you have to explore every possible plus and minus of every scenario do you say scenario or scenario scenario I think that's a British thing right you say scenario or scenario you're scenario Scenario. I'm a scenario guy I think did I just say scenario yeah, she said scenario. Yeah, I think scenario is the British way, right? I do do a fabulous. Eddie mentions my, I do a fabulous British accent, but but I would like for you agree or disagree on that possibility that it might be better for Anthony Richardson long term. Jeff George would be a good person to ask this, which we'll do in about five minutes. But is it possible that that no Jonathan Taylor is a better scenario for the long term acclimation of Anthony Richardson? Feel free to say no. I. I... I think that having him out there, there's no question can help him this season with all the reasons you outlined. Take stress off of both what defenses might throw at him and having another weapon out there. But from the long term of it, you need to be able to develop as a quarterback regardless of who's in the backfield with you. So at this point, with him having the lack of reps, with him having the inexperience that many people are pushing against him for, I don't think it should really matter who's in the backfield for his long-term development, and maybe it does position him in a better chance to succeed and not have like a safety blanket or a crutch in the backfield. But to your other point about that conversation with them selling Jim Mercy on the idea of moving him to another team, my biggest worry is what the offer is going to be. 
because the Colts still hold all of the cards in this scenario unless uh, unless Jonathan Taylor is legitimately injured because he's going to have to report week one. Otherwise, it's going to start being now, financial penalties. And they they can. Here's the thing. They can, tra- they can trade players on PUP. Sure. The other thing is they can give extensions to players on PUP because they've done it. Shaq Leonard was on PUP when they gave him an extension. And if I'm Jonathan Taylor, then I'm saying, well, see, there's precedent there. You can't use it. So... But you are correct. The health is the other big question mark, right? You know, the one area where the Colts might have painted themselves in a corner a little bit is if the Colts used the alleged back injury as a threat to Jonathan Taylor of, we can put you on the non-football injury list and not have to pay you because you came in and said that you had a back tweak that happened during workouts in Arizona when you were away from the team, non-football injury. Non-football injury means that if you go onto that list, we don't have to pay you anything. The Colts float that out there, maybe, maybe a little bit as like kind of a warning shot to him of be careful what you wish for here because you mentioned this back injury and then Jonathan Taylor says, I didn't mention a back injury. Why would the Colts lie? He failed the physical. There has to be a reason. But is it possible then that the Colts kind of painted themselves in a corner because now if you're other teams, you're saying, well, wait a minute. You... You're trying to sell me a car, but you already admitted to me that the transmission needs some work, right? Yes. The ongoings of what's happened to this point have all the feelings of the way players force their way out in the NBA. And we talk about how there's two totally different leagues and very rarely do you see the type of player power happen in the NFL that you do in the NBA. But that's how those negotiations eventually break down is eventually the team says, okay, James Harden, we'll use an example. You can go and your agent try to find a trade partner, and we'll go from there. And the other big leap that Taylor has to overcome as well is the other contract side of things. Even if he gets traded, he doesn't win a player empowerment battle unless he gets the money that he was initially seeking. So it's a two-wave battle, but this is the first step in that process in my mind of, I didn't think the Colts would relent and actually consider trading him. Clearly, they've moved at least to opening the door to listening if right. teams come calling or if his agent can help find I, I just think it's fascinating the whole like yeah we're giving you permission uh, permission like I've never known the, the player and the agent to be the ones that go out and like secure a trade I've heard that wording all the time in the NBA I, no, I get it you're right I mean basically it is saying it's a better it's an easier way of saying this listen fine you want to see other people we're cool with it Find out who's actually willing to go out on a date with you, right? Uh, Jeff George was the number one overall selection in the 1990 NFL draft. Began his career in Indianapolis, really flourished in Atlanta and in Oakland. But what were some of the things, perhaps, as a young player that he went through that can translate? And what would he say to Anthony Richardson today? We'll find that out when he joins us next. You're listening to Quarry and Company here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Half past 12 on a Tuesday. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook here on 93.5, 107.5. The fan talking about the Colts, the Jonathan Taylor situation, Anthony Richardson as well. And I figured when it comes to young players that are trying to kind of get their footing underneath them in the National Football League, there would be few that would be better, certainly amongst those that are permanent residents of Indianapolis, probably nobody better than our next guest who joins us now on the hotline to talk about exactly that. He was the 1990 number one overall pick in the NFL draft after a successful 
career at Warren Central, where he won back-to-back state titles and broke the heart of North Central amongst other schools in Marion County. Jeff George joins us on the program. Jeff, how are you? Good to talk to you. You too, Jake. Always good talking with you. Good seeing you the other night. I was looking forward to talking to you today. Well, and I'm sorry to interrupt your Andy Griffith viewing this afternoon, which I'm sure was probably part of the schedule. Um, Let's begin with this. I'm going to present this to you in a hypothetical, Jeff. You know, you came into a situation as a young player, and it's a little bit different for you perhaps because it was your hometown. There was a lot of – you know, you probably had some pressures and expectation in addition to what Anthony Richardson has. But it was a different franchise to an extent back then as well. But if you were to – if Chris Ballard were to call you on the phone right now or Shane Steichen and they were to say, Jeff, you've been through it, how do we handle this guy in getting him used to being an NFL quarterback and bringing him along? What would your answer be? Well, you know, for me, it was, uh, like you said, it was a lot different. Uh, but I, I think I was, uh, as a rookie, uh, I was prepared a lot different than I think the, the quarterbacks coming in, into t- today's uh, game. Um, I was ready. You know, when I, when I remember when Ron Meyer sat me down and said, hey, we're going with you, um, it wasn't a shock to me because I was prepared. You know, I had three years in college. I had all the games under my belt. I was uh, uh, in the pro-style offenses uh, um, each year. I, you know, the first year at uh, Illinois, and then or uh, first year at Purdue, and then two years at Illinois. So when I stepped foot on uh, – you know, when I came to Indianapolis, I was ready. I learned the offense early. I knew defenses. I was able to make all the checks and the reads and – I uh, was able to, you know, the big thing for a quarterback, the main thing you need to do is, you know, you have to understand, have a great grasp of protections. And I'm just not so sure that, uh, not that he can't, but I'm just not so sure he has the experience to come in here and uh, and do all that that you need to, to do as a, as the QB1, as a starting quarterback. And I think the best thing for him is uh, is to play the kid that came from Philadelphia, the, the Minshew kid. He has the experience. Take it, you know, sit on the sidelines, learn a little bit. Um, know the playbook like the back of your hand and uh you know just so he doesn't take those uh those early lumps and you know his confidence is shaken and um you have to learn it's a, it's a tough game it's uh it's it's a it's a great honor to be a, a starting quarterback in the NFL but it's going to take time so I'm just not so sure it's the right time for him to step in there especially because of the the talent that's around him um, I couldn't even tell you, uh, you know, other than the Pittman kid, I, I couldn't even tell you some of the receivers, the linemen other than Nelson, um, you know, obviously Jonathan Taylor, but I couldn't tell you some of the players they have. So it's a young team. You have to sit back and let him develop. If he's your guy of the future, you just have to let him develop and watch a little bit and learn. And then, you know, maybe, you know, game five if they're struggling and they're not in, in contention or anything, throw him in there and, and, you know, let him get the experience. But, I think he he just has to sit back and learn a little bit before he uh, before he takes that next step. When you look back, Jeff, and I don't know how much you know. I do think that now, from when you were playing, it is even more so. I mean, you led the league in passing yardage in the NFL for a season, but it's even more so a passer friendly league today than it was then. So with that, though, even though it's a passer-friendly league, that means that defenses are coming up with different looks, different stunts to confuse a quarterback. In your opinion, how many games does it take to start at the professional level before you truly feel like you have seen everything that you need to see to be able to recognize all looks? Well, you know, that's that's kind of a tough question. Um, 
because it is different nowadays. Um, but for me, in my experience, you know, I remember the the first game we we played at Buffalo, and Buffalo was the the team to beat for you know all of '90s, all the 1990s. And uh, to start at Buffalo, at Buffalo, I was, uh, um, you know, I was a rookie, and I really wasn't comfortable with with everything that we were doing, um, being able to make the checks, uh, the proper checks, the run checks, the passing game. Um, uh, you know, I just I I was prepared, but. Uh, the things that they were doing throughout the course of the game I hadn't seen before. And for me, it was probably around week seven, I think, was when I really felt comfortable with making everything that, that, that a starting quarterback needed to make. Uh, but until then, um, you know, it's going to take time. And, and again, I where I came from, it was a lot easier for me to make the adjustment than, the, uh, than it is now. So, um you know, they rely so much on the quarterback nowadays that you know, I know everybody's talking about Jonathan Taylor, um, and it's really a quarterback's game. You know that's why the uh, um, the need for a, for a top notch running back isn't there anymore. I needed it. I needed Eric Dickerson. I needed a back to take the pressure off me. But your running back nowadays is your quarterback, so I'm not so sure there's a big need for a, for a running back nowadays. Jeff, in that same vein with how inexperienced and the accuracy issues that Anthony Richardson has had, and that's his his rep that's attached to him going into year one, does he need a running back more than other quarterbacks in the National Football League? Because I agree with you, it's evolved past that in today's NFL, but one could argue a luxury of a back as talented as JT could help his growth. Well, yeah, there's no question that, that you need a running back, but I'm not so sure that uh, for him to grow – uh, to to be the type of quarterback that he wants to be, I'm not so sure he really needs a, uh, an elite elite running back. I'm not so sure that defenses are going to uh, come up and you know and and you know put seven eight men in the box and and say hey we have to stop Jonathan Taylor to win the game. If Anthony Richardson's out there, if you know they're going to tell him hey if you're in your progression and your reads in the passing game, you look at this guy. You look at your first read. You look at your second read. And if that's not there, they're going to probably time just to take off. And you be Anthony Richardson. You be the running back. You be our running back. So I'm not so sure that uh, you know. Again, you know, it's the importance of having a running back uh, for a for a, for for somebody like me, a pro style quarterback, is, is a must. But for the game now, I'm just not so sure that defenses are going to really come up and say that hey, we have to stop Jonathan Taylor. Uh, to beat the Colts, they're gonna. They know what they have to do. They know they're playing against a rookie quarterback. Uh, he's their running back, and he's their passer. He's their offense. And you look at, you know, where, where Philadelphia was last year. Nobody really thought anything about Jalen Hurts and uh, the type of year that he had. I can't even tell you. Now you guys probably know more about the rosters than I do, but I can't tell you Philadelphia's running back. All all you know is is the receivers uh, um, and, and Jalen Hurts and. You know, the importance of them having a running back um, is somebody that you have to be a third down back that's going to go out there and, you know, be a receiver in the backfield. That's what the game needs today, and uh, I think that's what the Colts are looking for. They're looking for a third down back, not a power back like a Jonathan Taylor. Jeff, when you look back at the running back position in particular, you mentioned Eric Dickerson, and Mm – my years may be off here, Jeff, so correct me if I'm wrong. I might be off by a year. But if I'm not mistaken, you know, you obviously had Eric as a rookie when you were a rookie, I'm saying. 
and then I think it was in year two for you when Dickerson really had like the holdout and ended up getting suspended, and there were some issues there with Eric Dickerson. And you were a young quarterback trying to get your footing, and now all of a sudden, you know your your Rolls Royce is not even in the garage. How big a distraction was that for you? How much of an impediment was it towards your growth? And can not necessarily the the lack of on field production of Jonathan Taylor, but can the drama of Jonathan Taylor be a hindrance to Anthony Richardson? Well, I don't know if it's, uh, for me, um, stunning my growth. I don't think it's stunning my growth. It it uh, it hurt me in a sense where I, I got banged up quite a bit. Um, you know, again, we were different offenses compared to, you know, back in those days to it, what they are now. Um, I needed Eric Dickerson to take the pressure off me, not to – not to be better as a quarterback, not to, you know, learn the middle part of the game. I knew that. I knew offenses. I knew defenses. I needed Eric to st- – I needed him back in the backfield. So, what you were saying earlier, that, you know, hey, we have to load the box up to stop Eric Diggins. If they stop Eric Diggins, and then it made it so much easier on me in the passing game. But the middle part of the game, what Anthony Richardson really has to do just right now is it's not a – a distraction for him, not having a right. He just has to grow as a quarterback. He has to learn. You can't worry about that. He has to be, uh, you know, again, uh, the smartest player on the field. He has to uh, know every position on the field. He has to know every, you know, what every protection is, every route is, what the receivers are doing, running backs are doing, what defenses are doing, what fronts are doing, what coverages are doing. And that really has nothing to do with the running back. So he, he just has to go out there, get in the playbook, study, get bigger, faster, stronger, uh, you know, become a better passer. Uh, I was watching a little bit of the uh, the uh, the first preseason game, and you know, some mechanics and fundamentals are, are a little bit off. But there's no doubt that he has a ton of talent. He's raw. Um, but I needed Eric Dickerson more than Anthony Richardson needs Jonathan Taylor. When you see him talking about Anthony Richardson, Jeff George is our guest, the former quarterback for the Colts. Uh, See if I can do this, Jeff. The Colts, Raiders, not in particular order. Falcons, Vikings, Bears, Seahawks, uh, and Washington. Did I miss one? Uh, no, that <laughs> sounds about right. Um, and I would say, me personally, I think of Jeff George's best quarterbacking years with the Raiders, by the way. Would you say Raiders or Falcons are the ones that you look most fondly on? Um, to be quite honest with you, I was uh, the most comfortable uh, when I was in Minnesota. Actually, Minnesota, you're right. I Chris Carter and Randy Moss, pretty good tandem to throw to. Yeah, they were, and uh, you know that's that's really the only way you're as a quarterback, somebody like me. The only way, you know, obviously, it's, you know, everyone says you need talent around you, and you know they surround you with you know receivers, running backs, linemen. You need a defense. That really is the quarterback is only going to go as far as his team, and you know I know we're all talking about the Colts, and we all want them to go, you know, get back to the playoffs, go to the Super Bowl, and have great success. But I'm just not so sure that they have the players uh, that that surround Anthony Richardson. You know, is going to allow him to be the player that he wants them to be, the player that they believe that he can be. You just need to you need to look back in your past and your history. And and you know, I loved Andrew Luck. I thought Andrew Luck was probably the, the greatest quarterback um, the Colts have ever had. And you know, nothing against Peyton. Peyton's great, and everybody loves Peyton. But what what Andrew Luck did, if Andrew Luck was uh, had the talent that Peyton had, heck, if I if I had the talent that was here, uh, you know, in the late '90s, 2000s, I think I'd be a Colt for the next 20 years. And 
you know, people ask you, and you have regrets. What regrets do you have in your career? And, you know, I think the one regret that I have is I didn't retire as a Colt. You know, Jimmy Ursay drafted me. He believed in me. He, uh, you know, he always said that, uh, hey, Jeff, you're going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. And, and uh, I, for me, I just got bad advice. I didn't have the, the representation that uh, said, hey, Jeff, look, this is what you need to do. And, and you know, you stay the course and you work hard and you, be, you know, be the leader of the team, you be the face of the franchise and be face of Indianapolis, and you're going to have great success. We're going to help you along the way. And I didn't have that. I, I didn't have, um, you know, the, the organization wasn't as strong as it was back in, uh, you know, with Bill Pullian and, and now with Chris Ballard. And um, I didn't have anybody. You know, I had Jimmy Ursa, who's a great man, a great owner, um, but he was young and he really, you know, was inexperienced as well as I was. So you kind of, you grow together. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's so important. It's not just the players that you need. The, the, the organization needs to be solid and, and uh, you know, it has to be same people year in and year out, same offense year in and year out. You can't change coaches all the time and have success. So, um, I know I'm rambling here, Jake. I'm getting off. No, off I think it's a good stuff. point because, Jeff, th- what I've always wondered is this, and I think you and I have maybe privately touched on this a little bit, but but I'm going to tell you how it would be for me, and, and I think something that's probably misunderstood about you. It would be tough because here's my thought, Jeff. You get drafted by the Colts, and just like you're talking about, I mean, there, there's you know, you get drafted in a time when the owner's calling in plays from the press box, and and they traded your best receiver and your best lineman to get there, and you're, you know, you got a hodgepodge line to to a great extent. And I think they learned from that. I think the Colts learned from the mistakes they made and how they handled your tenure, and right. that benefited Peyton Manning, and that benefited later. Andrew Luck to an extent, although Luck, you could make the argument about the line and other such things, but they did try to give him pieces. They drafted pieces for him that they thought were going to work for him. So clearly they learned from that. But Jeff, what would be difficult for me, and I know this is the, I I want you to touch on this. I love Indianapolis. I love the people here. I love the city. And, And what I've learned about you is I think you're the same. And so would it have been easier to swallow if your career had gotten off under the same kind of dysfunction if it had been in Houston or Tampa or Arizona as opposed to in your hometown, which is the place that more than anywhere else you would have wanted to have been able to have that cemented footprint? Yeah, it probably would have been a lot easier, obviously, if you if you go if I went somewhere else. But I wanted to come to, to Indianapolis. I, you know, I, I loved it. My family was here. You know, obviously grew up here. Um, I envisioned of you know uh, me someday leading the Colts to the Super Bowl. And you know, I, I, there, we all have regrets. You know, and the biggest regret that I have is, like I said, that I didn't stay with the Colts. Um, I wish somebody would have came to me and said, Jeff, look, you know, it has to work out here. Just hey, just bide your time, work hard be the quarterback that we know that you can be give us time to build around you and uh, you're going to do great things the Colts are going to do great things and uh, I just uh, you know after four years of getting beat up and pounded um, not so sure my body could have could, could have taken anymore but I wish somebody would have been in my corner my you know whether it was my agent somebody and said hey Jeff look it's going to get better in Indianapolis you're you're a Hoosier. You're a Hoosier for life. You love it there. Your family's there. And, uh, you know, yeah, that's the biggest regret I had. And if I think if I would have stayed the course, 
I know. I know what would have happened because I had uh, a good owner and Jim, Jim Harris. Jimmy, Jimmy's great. He's uh, um, he's a great owner. He wants to win. Um, if I would have stuck it out, I think I would have been a, a Colt for 20 years. I think I'd have had a couple Super Bowls under my belt, and uh, everybody in Indianapolis would have been happy. So that's the biggest regret for me, that I didn't stick it out and uh, just give it a chance. And um you know, and that's kind of that's kind of with, with with Anthony Richardson, Jonathan Taylor right now. What he needs right now is just to somebody say, "Hey, you know what, Jonathan, go in there. You got a year left on your contract. Play your butt off. Show everybody here in Indianapolis what your worth is." Jimmy Ursay believed in it. He drafted you. Have a great year. We got a rookie quarterback. Bring him along. You two are the faces of the franchise, and uh, we're going to pay you the next year. Have a great year. Stay healthy. Show that you can stay healthy. And uh, it's going to work out. Just let the process run its course, and uh, and it'll all work out for him. He'll get what he wants. Maybe not the sixteen million that he wants. You know, they're just not paying running backs that. But he'll get the ten, eleven, twelve million dollars a year that that he wants. The thing that I that I worry about for him right now that he's going to turn into a to a, a Le'Veon Bell. You know, the guy had it, had it made in Pittsburgh, and you know he he got a little greedy, wanted money, wanted you know just. If he'd have stayed there, he'd have been a Hall of Fame running back, and things would have worked out. So my advice to Jonathan Taylor is get in camp, get healthy, number one. Hopefully you're healthy. Have the type of year that you had. Have a 1,500-yard you know, uh, a year a season. Uh, get better at, at receiving because that's what they want you to do now. Work on your routes. You know, and Become a better pass blocker, and we'll pay you what you want. He's not – He's not a Christian McCaffrey. He's not the type of guy, you know, the, the kid from San Diego that, um, you know, that, that's a running back, but it's more of a receiver playing running back. He's not that type of back. But go in there, work hard, prove your worth, and you have an owner that that believes in you. He he brought you here, and he'll take care of you. I promise you, Jimmy Ursay will take care of you if you do your job. Jeff, I wanted to get your perspective on what Gardner Minshew is dealing with. You battled in the NFL for 14 seasons, and and he's at a point in his career where the opportunities there in front of him are continuing to to dream and work for being a starter while also having to mentor younger quarterbacks. What keeps you going when you're at that point in your NFL career, and, and what advice would you give to Gardner Minshew if he asked you about what motivates you to keep fighting for this NFL dream? Well, the motivation is just you love the game. You know, what better job in the world that you can have than a starting quarterback or a backup quarterback in the NFL? Uh, the, mon- the money's crazy. But as a player, you really don't play for the money. You just love the game. You love it. And for somebody like that, that's I, I think he's in a great situation. Coming from Philly, you know, your, your head coach was, was with you. He knows what you can do. Um you know, I don't need to give Gardner Minshew any advice. He's been a starter in the league, and and he's played. And he, you know, his preseason, he's played. He's played well. So, I think he knows he's in a position where he's probably going to get some playing time. I'm not sure when it's going to be, but he has an opportunity to play. Um, but, you know, again, it, 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 you play the game because you love football. You know, I you know I started playing when I was what third, fourth grade, and. Uh, um, and then when the Colts drafted me, it was just like a, a dream come true, and to be able to come back and play for your hometown, uh, although we, you know, not much success. Uh, what a, a an honor and a privilege for me to step on the what was it, the Hoosier Dome at the time, playing in the stadium that I played. Uh, Jeff, I've always said, man, you're the one guy that knows exactly how many lights were in the Teflon of the Hoosier Dome, right? Because you spent, <laughs> <laughs> you were able yeah, to count all of them. 
Yes, and I felt that concrete pretty well. <laughs> you know, they, I, w- I wish they'd have had the uh, the turf that they have now. You know, my body's probably would probably feel a lot much better in the mornings when I wake up. Hey, but, last thing, let me ask you this, Jeff, before we let you go, and I appreciate the time today. Um, as we watch Anthony Richardson, you know, tomorrow night, preseason game number three, the second for him, 8 o'clock, or excuse me, Thursday night, I should say, 8 o'clock in Philly, and then in the regular season, as a football, as a guy like me who's not started in the NFL at quarterback, give me what I'm looking for, either A, that tells me that that, that Anthony Richardson is making strides, in other words, like, what are you, as a, as a, as a veteran NFL quarterback who has an expert of the position as Jeff George does tell me what you're looking for that's going to show you that Anthony Richardson is progressing and tell me what you're looking for that would be warning signs well uh, they both go hand in hand the number one thing is when when you're in the pocket you just watch his head watch how he reads passing plays you know if he's going to you know his first his first uh, progression second progression third breath when you see him hit a check down a running back out of the backfield you know he's made progress. Most guys, most most young guys, you know, you're like I said earlier, you're you're reading two guys. You're one, two, you you panic. Or I don't want to say say the word panic, but you just don't know. You, you you don't know the offense as well as you should. So just go through your progression. Sit in the pocket. Trust your lineman. Make your reads. When you get when he finally gets to the third, fourth, fifth guy in the progression, you know he's made progress. So uh, if, if you see him and he, and he takes off early in the pocket, um, you know, doesn't give the line, it doesn't trust your line, um, and he takes off running, then you know he's just he's going back to what, what he knows best, what he knew, what he did in college. Um, and you know he's not, uh, I don't want to say not progressing well, but he just doesn't have the experience that, that you want in your starting quarterback. Well, Jeff, it's a pleasure as always. I certainly appreciate it. And the good news is now that I'm in this time slot and not the mornings, that means that we can resume the 1 o'clock texting debates about whether or not Warren or North Central should have won the 85 sectionals. Yeah, my, my Warriors aren't uh, – they didn't get off to a good start this week. Yeah, but I still think – like, you still think of Warren Central as Warren Central, right? Warren Central and BD are the two that I'm like – they could not win a game for three years, and I'm like, it's Warren and BD though, right? It's still That's big true, when you right? play them. You know, you know what, Jay? There's nothing better than Friday Night Lights. I love it. I've played at all levels, college pros, and there's nothing and not a better feeling than going out watching a Friday Night Football game. It, it just takes you back, and when it was all innocent, when it all meant something, and when it was just you were just a kid. And uh, 55 years old now, and I, I still go back in some of the fondest memories of my career, my high school days. It's a lot of fun, man, and certainly you provided a lot of entertainment for a lot of people during those days. Jeff, appreciate it, and we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good, Jake. Anytime. I appreciate it. That's Jeff George joining us here on the program. Really good perspective. And I think good perspective as well on, uh, to your point, you know, the question you ask about Minshew. I mean, Gardner Minshew's a guy that, that you know, you look at, Jimmy, you look at Minshew and, and what he's got coming in, and there's a level of professionalism with that as well that you have to be impressed by, right, of knowing exactly where things stand for him. Yeah, I mean, when they brought him in, the familiarity with Shane Steichen was enough to sell me from the get-go, but just the way he's handled everything and understanding that he knew all along with the fourth pick they might take a quarterback, that he might start, and he might be on the bench trying to mentor him, but he's accepted that role and understands that if this is his path, a permanent backup QB, a permanent mentor, he's still fighting in the league, and maybe it doesn't end that way. Maybe he does wind up 
fighting for an opportunity like Jeff George did for his entire career and thriving in a couple spots. A guy that covered Jeff George, but notably still covers the Colts today. The dean of writers when it comes to covering the Colts in the NFL in this town is Mike Chappell. He joins us in the next hour. It is here. You're listening to it. Query and Company, 93.5107.5 The Fan. Really. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Appreciate Jeff George's comments and appreciate those of you that listened to them, commented about it. Really good insight in terms of Anthony Richardson and what happens now in terms of learning the quarterback position in the NFL. Obviously, it went a little bit long. So we'll take a quick reset and be right back. Mike Chappell joins us, by the way, an hour from now here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I remember when Vanilla Ice did a take on this song. My buddy Chris Farkas had it on tape. It was the follow-up hit to Ice Ice Baby. We thought it was cool for like two and a half weeks. I, I heard it the other day, and I'm like, this is the most embarrassing thing I've ever heard. Um, new details on a little skirmish between the Colts and the Eagles. We'll get to that in just a second here. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook on Quarry & Company on a Tuesday. Uh, real quick, I wanted to, to touch on this, and I appreciate several people that have sent tweets. Uh, great perspective, I thought, from Jeff George. And... Um, I have told this many times, and maybe I don't need to, Jimmy, but I feel compelled to. I know that Jeff George, when he was a player here, and I think Jeff George knows it. You heard him talking about it there. You know, he knows he was a polarizing figure because of the way that things went down when he was a Colt, and it was just a different era in a lot of ways. Uh, I have told Jeff, you know, I, I grew up in Washington Township. He was at Warren when I, I was not in high school at the same time as Jeff. I was in middle school when he was in high school. And there's no greater, Jimmy, you went to what high school? You went Rock to Rock Colley, Colley right? Yep. So when you, what middle school did you go to? St. Jude. So I'm assuming that when you were at St. Jude, you probably, like, the guys that were playing football at Ron Colley were like your heroes, right? Sure. When you were in sixth grade. And Ron Colley's chief rival would be who? Depending on who you ask, Bishop Tard, Cathedral. So Cathedral probably more so than So you probably really didn't like the players. At, like when you were in sixth grade, the players at Cathedral Despi- and Chittard, despised, you despised yeah, them, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that was Jeff George for me because I grew up in Warren in North Central in Washington Township and Warren knocked him out. Um, and he was obviously a great player. And then he went to Purdue. I was an Indiana fan. He went to Purdue. And then, of course, Illinois. And then he gets drafted by the Colts. And to as he was talking about there, I mean, it was just a tumultuous time for the franchise. So I didn't dislike him as a person, but I was never a fan, right, Because for all those reasons. And I've told him all that. Where things changed for me, and I know that the perception is in this town of that polarization of him to a lot of people. But if you look at like Jason Whitlock that played with him at Warren and is an adamant defender of Jeff George's, Lance Scheib who played with him at Warren is an adamant defender of Jeff George's, and I guess now, and I will unapologetically say, I am 100% in the corner of Jeff George and will carry the torch for him and the bat for him in defense of him and the way things went down here adamantly and unapologetically. And I'll tell you why, because the people that get to know him then see like an absolute pillar of loyalty. And you don't talk to many, you know, 
when you get to know the guy, then you're like, it changes everything. And when I worked at WIBC years ago, I worked there for not a very long period of time. And I did the morning show with Terry Stacy. And we did, I can't recall the circumstance or situation, but we did a show. I don't think it was Thanksgiving Day, but it might have been the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And we're like, well, what are you going to do for the show? And I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we get listeners to call in or write in and tell if, if for some reason they're not able to have a Thanksgiving dinner because either they're from out of town or they've got to work that night or whatever. Sure. And we'll get, I believe it was Kroger, donated like 10 pre-made, like full Thanksgiving dinners. And then we went on the air and Terry and I went and delivered these dinners to to the different listeners and then told their story of like, you know, oh, this is Cindy who moved here from Buffalo and she she works at such and such hospital and she's got to work tonight. So here's her Thanksgiving dinner. And, you know, we did it was fun. Well, at any rate, Kroger donated to us far more dinners than we were handing out than, than we were giving out. So we had a, a surplus of them and we're like, well, what are you going to do with these? So we said, well, let's go to one of the shelters and just drop them off at the end of the show. And this was like the last segment of the show. So we go to this shelter, and there's like an 18-wheeler truck out front. And I'm like, what in the world? And the back door opens, and Jeff George is standing there. And it's full of food. And I'm like, and I didn't know. I mean, I, I had met him once or twice in, in sports media coverage late in his playing career, but I didn't know him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I go up to him. Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I used to work at Channel 6, whatever. Oh, yeah, I remember you. And I said, so what are you doing here? And he said, oh, well, I, I, I bring a truck of food every year for the, for the needy for the holidays. I'm like, holy cow, like, how long have you been doing that? Well, I started doing it when I was with the Colts, and you know, it's my hometown, so I've just done it every year since. And I'm like, well, can we put you on the mic? Like, can I interview you? It's unbelievable. Nah, it's okay. I'm like, well, why would you not want to be interviewed? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, because that's not why I do it. I don't need people to know that I'm doing this. I just do it because it's my hometown and I can do it. And his mother at that time was had just been, I think, diagnosed with breast cancer. And he was very close with his mother. And once she passed, he did an immeasurable number of fundraisers and things for breast cancer and women that had gone through that journey and people who had lost a mother from that journey. Um, but, and so that started this, I, friendship, I guess you'd say, where, and that's what I referenced there, you never know when it's going to happen, but all of a sudden I'll get a text from Jeff George at like 1.30 in the morning that'll say Castleton Square or Lafayette Square, uh, Hot Sam Pretzel or Luca Pizza, and like, you know, and all kinds of just references to the 80s, right? Like like little things, you know, like which do you like better, which is better, and we go back and forth. When I had a heart attack in October of 2020, I will never forget literally probably one of the first 10 voicemails I got and easily the most sincere I got in terms of a well wish and an offer of assistance was from Jeff George and and, and to say that I'm like super tight with him is disingenuous I've always respected him and vice versa but my point being I think that when we I think Jeff George for me Jimmy like we talk about the Jonathan Taylor situation we talk about the, you know, different athletes and, and, and their 
the way they handle situations. I think Jeff George is as much to me, any other athlete, the thing that I learned from Jeff George was that what you see on the surface is not always the reality of what's there. So you just don't know, to his point, he got bad advice, he got bad representation. That may be what's going on with Jonathan Taylor. I don't know that Jonathan Taylor's a bad guy. It's not my place to say he's a bad guy because I'm not around him in that capacity. You know what I mean? But uh, at any rate, I thought really good insight from him on the development of Anthony Richardson and what needs to be done. Now today, Jimmy, fisticuffs and big fight because guys were coming to the aid of Anthony Richardson, right? Yes. So you had a couple skirmishes that took place today. The last one was the one that ended practice. Jalen Hurts, this from Nate Atkins, hit Kenneth Gainwell in a dump-off pass. Zaire Franklin cracked him to the ground. Jason Kelsey comes sprinting over and cracked Zaire to the ground. Then you have basically a full-team skirmish out there in practice that ended things. Subsequently, we've had post-practice press conferences, media availability. Uh, This from Josh Tolentino out in Philadelphia. Eagles longtime captain Jason Kelsey expresses regret in his role, escalating the fight with the Colts. Said his emotions got the best of him. Called his pummeling of Zaire Franklin to the ground a cheap shot. Called Franklin a tremendous player. Meanwhile, Zaire, this also from Nate Atkins, told the media he grew up watching Jason Kelly's a Philly kid, but after their fight, quote, thought the OGs would at least look me in the eye, but it's all good. I might get a chance to look them in the eye on Thursday. So we're looking forward to the preseason matchup now, post-fight. Everybody's ready to go. Now here's one interesting anecdote to this from the Philly side of thing. Eagles defensive end Derek Bennett punched Colts rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson during practice in an attempt to get the ball out, which then led later to a fight and Jalen Carter and, quote, tons of other Eagles ran over and Carter, quote, had to be held back. So we had two fights that happened, at least from the Twitter timeline. I believe that happened around 11, 11, 15, and there was that first initial fight, and then around 11, 30, you had the Zaire Franklin Gainwell incident with Jason Kelsey. This always happens. Now, I'm surprised it didn't happen really with Chicago, but like there's always these fights because what the guys always say, the most cliched line in the history of the National Football League during camp. I just was excited to hit a guy from a different helmet. I just, you know, we've been out there, guys flying around making plays, we've been knocking each other silly. I can go I'm full t- speed now. I'm, that's right. I'm tired of seeing these guys. I'm tired of seeing my teammates. I just wanted to hit somebody. And, you know, in addition to that, I understand why tippers would flare because for a lot of these guys, Jimmy, this is their shot, right? Like this is their this is their chance to try to make a roster for a lot of these guys. Now, Jalen Carter, that's not the case. Anthony Richardson, that's not the case. Jason Kelsey, that's not the case. But there are guys that you can understand why, you know, look, man, testosterone and alcohol is a bad, bad, bad mix. But so is testosterone and desperation, right? Yeah. And like, this is it. Totally. This is your it's your entire audition tape playing out over the course of a couple of months and during this home stretch of the last couple of weeks where you're not going to take anything from the other side. You want to be able to battle around and I mean, regardless of what type of coach you are, if you believe, oh, we need fighting in training camp, we don't need fighting in training camp. I know the Deion Sanders quote is going around at Colorado. Robert Sala last week at a hard knocks like, Yeah, we need to get these guys going. They need to get into each other a little bit. It's inevitable that it happens. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more, but for the guys not like Zaire Franklin and Jason Kelsey, it's your livelihood that you're fighting for. And when that desperation really kicks in, 
naturally you're not going to want to be upstaged and you're going to potentially let that get the better of you. And you also, you know, I, those guys, I'm not saying it's the case here, but you have veterans that they're, they've taken a younger player under their wing. They're helping. They're trying to help that guy. They know how close he is to, to making it. When now one of us falls, we all fall. Correct. Or like somebody's, you know, man, you're going to get my guy hurt, you know, yeah. whatever else. We've been talking a lot about the Jonathan Taylor situation. Scott joins us on the program at 239 1070. Um, Graham, I'll let you go ahead and punch Scott in here. Hey, Scott, good afternoon, man. What's going on? Hey, I think I've got the solution to uh, JT that will make uh, him happy and make her say, say, see, I stood my ground. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Scott, first off, before we do that, uh, I've done a program or a little segment on each program I do called Get to Know Your Listener. Are you familiar with this little uh, bit that we do? I am not. It's- I. Uh, uh, enjoy you and i listen to you and kevin but i can't say that i know that uh okay well this will uh, be fun scott we and and keep i want you to put on your hip pocket there i want you to keep the the salary solution in mind because we're going to get back to that but we do this little segment called get to know your listener we've had wild success with it. kids in particular love it the research shows um and, and i just ask a few questions scott to get to know you is that cool sure okay scott if you don't mind me asking how old a fella are you 69. Okay, this is 69-year-old Scott. So that would put you in graduating class, I'm going to guess somewhere around, uh, what, 72, 71, somewhere in there? Just had the Ben Davis uh, 50th uh, class reunion last September, so it was 72. Okay, class of 72. And, and Scott, I'm going to guess that when you were uh, driving to school there at Ben Davis in your in your Dodge Dart or your Chevy Nova, probably listened to a lot of Led Zeppelin maybe, maybe some Aerosmith, is that right? Uh, I listened to Aerosmith and went to the concerts, and uh, I was more of a ZZ Top kind of fellow. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> okay, and Scott, you're a retired guy, or are you a working man? I'm retired. And and what line of work were you in? Uh, I did a lot of things. I was an entrepreneur. I started a nonprofit, uh, you know, and uh, just uh, tried to do a little bit better than. Uh, um, you know, left it a little better every time. Well, I, that's very much appreciated. All right, Scott, tell me then in your entrepreneurship, the entrepreneurial, uh, if I can even say that word, the idea that you have for Jim Ursay that's going to save him money with the Jonathan Taylor situation. All right, for Jim's side, it's 4.3 is your salary, young man. And uh, uh, that's where we're at. However, this is a prove it year. And this is a one-year deal. We'll talk next year. When you get 500 yards, you get a million. When you get 750 yards, you get another. When you get 1,000, you get another. When you get 1,500 yards from scrimmage, which includes passing and thing, you get 2 million. If you play all 17 games, you get a million. For every touchdown that you run, you get two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now, now, hang on, Scott. I'm going I'm to try to keep tabs here. Now, now, let me ask this because you know I, I don't know if you know, but I flunked algebra seven times, and then a tutor got me through. So, for the for example, you said a million for the first five hundred yards, right? Right. Okay. Now, at seven hundred and fifty, another million, right? Right. So that's two. So if you get to seven fifty, you're now to two million, right? Right. Okay, so you keep the first million, okay? So in other words, this is cumulative, or, or this is progressive, not cumulative, right? Right. This okay. Is progressive. So seven fifty is two milestone. million. So then, um, so then, what's the next one after seven fifty? You said fifteen hundred from scrimmage. Nope, a thousand. You get 
another million. And at 1,500 scrimmage yards, which includes running and passing, it's two million. So that kicks you up. That's five million. That's 9.3. Okay. I'm not hard set on the 500 yards. I think you could say, uh, hey, your 4.3 million, that takes care of your 500 yards. But that's just, you know, hey, good faith. We want to get you out there. It's 9.3. If you play all 17 games, that's another million. That puts you at 10.3. Then for every touchdown you get, you get 250,000. 10 touchdowns, that'd be 2.5 million. That puts you at 12.8 million. And you've earned it all on your results based contract. Now, see, I like it, but Scott, here's my only, my only challenge here. Okay. And I like it. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here, right? Because I like the way – as a matter of fact, Scott, you sound like a guy I'd like to come to the west side and we could just go to Working Man's Friend and have a burger and solve the world's problems, right? You and <laughs> yeah. I could do that, right? So, being you know, uh, the uh, American Legion is about three blocks from there. My dad grew up there, and, uh, you know, when I was 10 and 11 years old, he'd go in and do this as the uh, commander of that uh, – uh, you know, military-based American Legion. Uh, you know, I'd sweep the floors while he was doing the books, and then uh, I wasn't young enough to go to the workings, man. But later on, I, yeah, so I know exactly where you're at. Well, when he was doing the books, he was probably come up with incentive-laden things like this, which is why that's where you got your your entrepreneurial, which I can't say, keen business sense here, right? Because I like the idea. My only question is this, Scott. Would there be concern then that Taylor balks if late in the year, all of a sudden the Colts find themselves in a situation where it's fourth and goal and they're bringing in Zach Moss or something like that and now Taylor's getting upset because he feels that they are denying him touches or opportunities for their own financial stake? Well, there's two aspects to my answer to that one is Jonathan Taylor's character and uh, uh, contribution to the team and being a leader within the organization it has been unquestionable up to this contract dispute so I think if you uh, sit down man-to-man with him and say look there's this program I think he'd be all right with that especially if you say at the same time these are all the things that you can earn we're not laying them out there because as we're going to this more diverse uh, offensive plan where we're hoping to reach out to uh, the uh, wide receivers and our uh, slot receivers and our tight ends and our quarterback is able to make yards on his own. So it's likely you won't make all of this. I mean, I li- Scott, listen, I-, I like it, right? But the other thing that comes into play with it is – the fact of, and I don't know this, uh, maybe I should know this from a, I know that there are incentive-laden contracts, Jimmy. I never know exactly how all of that works, like retroactively or preemptively against the cap. Yeah, I mean, I I think depending on if it's, with the bonuses, I believe they still, they definitely do have a cap attachment to it. My bigger thing with Jonathan Taylor, if I was to realize that is the best offer for me and that's the middle ground and you're going to make me work for everything that I get this year when you're not asking other position players to do that, I'll come to the negotiating table and accept that if you agree not to tag me next year. Yeah. You waive the tag next the, year, the tag and is... it's just a one-year prove-it deal, and then if you want to try to re-sign me, fine, but if not, I'm free to go wherever I want to, then okay. 
let's do that. But uh, This from Dave. Jake, I absolutely love the incentive idea. I've thought the exact same thing the last couple of weeks. I can't believe the Colts wouldn't entertain this idea of some form. I, I mean, it's... You would think that the Colts probably have have gone through all avenues, but here's the the thing. And Jimmy, somebody asked me this as well. You know, could could Taylor go out and change agents now because his agents put him in, quote, this predicament? Jonathan Taylor selected this agent because Jonathan Taylor wanted this predicament. Jonathan Taylor wanted out. Yep. Now, I don't know... If that's because of salary, if that's because of negotiation, if that's because of how his injury was handled, I don't know. I don't know that. But by all account, Jonathan Taylor entered this season with the mindset of I have representation now that I have hired to facilitate my my ouster from Indianapolis, quite frankly. I also think that he wants what no other running backs are getting right now which is long-term security. Right. And, like, yes, it, would it be great for him to be able to earn everything that's listed there? Yes. It, it would be tough, I think, to get all of it, depending on situational awareness of the coaching staff, of where they're playing and where they're not. You brought it up. Even if it's just devil's advocate, that could lead to more friction if JT even thinks that there's a chance that they're holding him out of reaching some of those objectives. But his other fear right now, which is the same with any – running back around the league that's on a rookie deal is if I try to push back, I'm just going to get tagged and I'm going to be trapped here. And I want long-term security. I'm 24 years old. I'm still at the height of my running back power. I want a three or four year deal with a evaluation I deem appropriate. And that's a great philosophy to have. But my bigger issue with JT and his representation is I think he hired a guy that's gone too far, which is 16 is not the, like, that's not a reasonable it's a great initial offer, but you can't be your final stance offer. Not with the Colts, but with anybody in this league. Nobody is going to give him three or four years for $16 million each season. There's no way. Not today's NFL. I think the the really hard thing for Jonathan Taylor, I've said this before, the really critical piece for Jonathan Taylor to get paid, Jimmy, quite frankly, was Carson Wentz. Because I think when Jonathan Taylor was drafted, the Colts were under the mindset that they were going to get a quarterback that was going to be like a four- to six-year guy, and they were going to be able to gel together and build a team around a franchise quarterback, and they thought it was going to be Carson Wentz. And once Carson Wentz imploded – and they had to move on from that, and they get Matt Ryan, which they thought they could get two years out of. I think they thought they were going to get two out of Phillip Rivers. But but Wentz was the big one because the other two bookends there were guys that were clearly at the end of their career, okay? But Wentz himself, I think they thought, okay, we are waiting for Taylor to hit his prime because we have a quarterback that's in it. Once Wentz didn't work out and they jettisoned that and they started all over from scratch the timelines then were completely thrown off where the running back but Jonathan Taylor himself became less relevant to the long-term plan to the immediacy and that and so in his case I understand why he'd be like then get me out of here if I'm Jonathan Taylor I'm like look I, I came in here assuming that by year four or five of my career 
I was going to be on a team that was winning double-digit games. Instead, now, year four or five of my career, I'm being asked to be on a team that's doing a rebuild, then yes, I would also, I could see why he'd want out. See, the vibe I get from it, and I think Jonathan Taylor, by all accounts, is a great person, but I think it's the larger aspect of my position group is not valued. This is not fair, the type of compensation that's being offered to us, and I'm going to be trapped here year over year for right. as long as they're going to tag me. I'm 24 years old. If I wait two or three years and let this play out this rookie season and I play under a tag next year, I'm going to be under the same boat that Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs are at right now, which is forced to accept a low ball offer because nobody else is going to want me because I'm 27 years old now and that's the new over-the-hill 30 for running backs. Or I'm going to wind up being released and think I'm going to get... 10, 12, 13, 14 million a year, and then wind up settling for eight or nine million like Dalvin Cook, like Ezekiel Elliott learned the hard way. By the way, you know, speaking of um, being old guys over the hill, I- I've never really figured out. Kevin and Mark were fabulous with this in the morning show. Maybe you can help me, Jimmy. The the YouTube chat. Yeah. I should be more like appreciative. I'm not, it's not that I'm not appreciative and respectful of the YouTube chat. I just have never been able to like double like focus on doing the show and then also looking at the YouTube chat. But I appreciate everybody that's in the YouTube chat and I certainly appreciate everybody that's listening. And actually I was surprised yesterday the the number of, of clicks that we had. I mean, I'm, I appreciate everybody that is watching right now on YouTube for certain. Um, I apologize. The lighting, I got to put the sunglasses back on. <laughs> Phil Sanchez commented that he knew what I'm talking about. He has the same, and, and Phil's a hell of a good looking guy, but he wears sunglasses out in public as a TV anchor because he knows the lighting situation. When you get you like a ring light or something, it's not directly in your I face mean, it, like that. It is directly yeah. on me. Thank you for yep. noticing that. Mike Chappell, by the way, at two o'clock. You know, Jake, Albert... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Breer had a piece on SI.com a little earlier today evaluating a number of different topics, including where the word is from AFC, NFC execs around the NFL for what a trade package could be for Jonathan Taylor. This is from the piece on SI.com. Can I guess? Sure. Let's guess and then I'll reveal. Let me ask you this. How many different pieces are we talking? There are one, two, three, four, five, seven different executives that commented on this. I know, but I'm saying. For pieces, summer and summer or, the ors are one, the ands are two. Okay. Pieces involved. That makes sense. A number two. Or a number three and a number six. Okay. One said that a second or third would be the value of a package, potentially. That would be the carrying value of that trade. Okay. One said a third and a fifth. Okay. Another said a third or a fourth rounder. Somebody else labeled a, this is an NFC exec, a fourth rounder with playing time triggers that could make it a third. Okay. That kind of Carson Wentz. Matt Ryan or uh, Carson Wentz trade language that was used when he was bounced around from time to time with the playtime triggers. Third NFC exec said a second or a third rounder, but added less than McCaffrey in terms of the package that they'd be looking at. Fourth said maybe a day two pick. Another exec, a third rounder. Another one, possibly a day two pick, and then a fourth set, a second round. Yeah. Anybody that thinks that they're going to get a number one or even multiple number ones is absolutely like 
high out of their mind. And there's also not this clamoring of like the McCaffrey deal where it's second, third, fifth, or third, fourth, right. and a couple fifths. Like we're talking maybe one or two picks at most from some of these AFC and NFC executives. The, the, the thing about McCaffrey, McCaffrey's a bad comparison because he's a great back. If you have, here's the thing. If you need a running back to sweep around the outside and pick up a massive chunk for you or to break away and cement a game with a long touchdown run, Taylor's as good as McCaffrey. Might be better. Yeah. That's it. Basically, every other scenario that you can come up with in a running that where you would use a running back, you would take McCaffrey over Taylor. And McCaffrey also I you know the receiving aspect of it is just is just huge but the the thing that is interesting to me though the gamesmanship of all of this Jimmy is fascinating because if the Colts are reportedly saying and I don't know how accurate this is but if if allegedly they're saying we'll trade you Feel free to – here's what I think the Colts are doing, actually. I think what the Colts are doing is saying to Jonathan Taylor, we're granting you permission to find a suitable trade value, a team that you want to go to, which I've never heard a team say, oh, you'd like to be traded? Well, then go ahead and, and find a trade. That's the That's the team's job. But what they're doing is this, Jimmy. What they're doing is they are saying to Jonathan Taylor – we get it. You'd like to find your way out. You'd like to go to a contender. You'd like to go to a team where you're not having to help a quarterback learn on the job. We get it. You had the ankle injury and you felt like we mishandled that. We get it. Have at. Make your phone calls. Put yourself on eBay. Put your Do whatever you need to do. And they know that Jonathan Taylor is going to find out what the market is. But more notably, what they're going to find out is the Colts are the Colts are going to be able to say to Jonathan Taylor and his representation, we were open to trading you. We were open to it. But we also made it clear that we wanted a first rounder. And the phone never rang. So if the rest of the league doesn't feel that you're worth a first rounder, then why should you feel that you're worth $16 million? My pushback at that, if I'm Jonathan Taylor, though, is that those are those, those are apples and oranges in terms of the evaluation because they, those those aren't mutually exclusive items. Like they could get a second and a third rounder for him in theory, and a team's still not going to pay him sixteen million dollars. Not just because a, a first round pick doesn't the, come the to the door. The trick, though, Jimmy, is wherever you send him, theoretically, is going to be a team that also has to agree to extend him. Correct. Which is the other headache if right. I'm a front office and on so, the other side. So here's the, so then they're saying to him, "We're open to it. Go ahead." And when you find a team that's willing to give us what we want and give you what you want, then we'll do it. The other gamesmanship aspect to it as well is if he doesn't find it right away, maybe the Colts view this as a good faith olive branch of, hey, we understand you're still looking for a trade partner, but we think it looks better. And I'm sure maybe your representation agrees of you being out there performing for us week one onward while we're still seeking this trade off for you. Even if they don't intend to trade him, 
the idea of that dialogue continuing, I would think they hope is enough to maybe entice and be like, you know what, I can further increase my value if I'm showing my worth in a three or four game sample size uh, yeah, that I'm healthy. I, I, I think there's an element of this too. I think there's a strong element, Jimmy, of, listen, we've been trying to tell you, Jonathan Taylor, you're a wonderful player. When when you came out in the draft, we told everybody that would listen that you were a game-changing player and a top offensive weapon. And we've loved what you brought to the table. We love the character that you have. We love the fact that here in Philadelphia, when we're getting ready to play the Eagles in two days and through all of this, you're out there right now with your with your guys. We love it. We love everything about you. Except for the price tag you want. So, we've tried to tell you repeatedly. We tried to text you to tell you that you're not worth $16 million. We tried calling you and left you a voicemail that you're not worth $16 million. We put on Twitter that you're not worth $16 million. We sent you a DM that said you're not worth $16 million, And we sent a telegram to your agent saying you're not worth $16 million. And then actually we had one of those huge banners behind an airplane that flew over the Indiana State Fair saying you're not worth $16 million. None of those worked. He's not worth Carrier Pigeon? We can't go that far? Carrier Pigeon as well. Okay, all right. None of that worked. Yeah. Every single one of them, Jonathan Taylor said, I didn't get the message. So they said, okay, you didn't get the message, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to have the other 31 teams tell you that. So go find one that wants to pay you $16 million, and when you find one, come back and let us know. And he's going to come back with his tail between his legs and go, you were right. Yeah, because no one's paying him that. They, they are forcing him to let the rest of the league dictate for him his market value, and he's going to find out it's less than $16 million. Because there's two negotiations that are going to happen with Jonathan Taylor's representation and any team they're seeking a trade with. It is not only, hey, my client wants out, the Colts are willing to trade him, can you trade a first or maybe a second and some other picks there? It's also, oh, by the way, my client wants $16 million. Will you pay him that? Because I also think if I'm JT's agent, I'm not trying to force him into another spot where he's no longer the Colts problem. They get second and third round picks, they're happy. But now JT is still frustrated because next year the Cardinals aren't going to pay him $16 million a year. I have a numeric question that's been plaguing me forever, and it has nothing to do with any of this. Do you want me to ask it now, or do you want me to wait until like after chapel? No, I want it now. It's been bothering me greatly. I put it on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it yesterday, but this has been bothering me for for years. You are a in baseball. You're a what fan? I'm a Yankees fan. Okay, so let's say that you're Yankees. Get off to a blistering start next year, okay? One can dream. So, through 100 games, let's say the Yankees are – okay, give, give me – if the, it's 100 games into the baseball season. If the Yankees are off to a blistering record start that you can't believe, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing ever, they would have how many wins? Give me a number. 65. Okay, 65 wins. So that would mean that their record is 65 and 35, right? <laughs> right? And he said 100. Yeah, yes, yes. So 65 <laughs> and 35. We'll go, we'll go, I'm going to make it easier. We're going to go 70. 70 and 30. 99 and okay. 1 would have been better, so by 70, the way. 70 and 30. If a team is 70 and 30. Yeah. If a team is 70 and 30, how many games over 500 are they? They are. 40 games over 500. Are you sure? Yes. Because 500 would be 50 and 50, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, so this is the conundrum. That's the conundrum. Are you 40 games over 500 or are you 20 games over 500? 500 would be 50 and 50. 
Or you could say 500 would be 30 and 30. If you're going based on the number of losses, 500 would be 30 wins. 30 wins, 30 losses. You're 40 games over that. Or you could say that 500 after 100 games is 50 and 50. And you're 20 games over that. So which is it? Or are you the average of the two, which is 30 games over 500? 50. So I'm going to go from... Give a shout-out to everybody's favorite polarizing play-by-play broadcaster. I'm going to give a shout-out to John Sterling, and that's why my answer was 40. Because if they are, let's just say, for example, they are 30-10 and 10 on the season, he would say they're 20 games over 500. So I'm going to say it's, it's my way. Are it's they? Not, that, that, I'm just telling you that's how I perceive it as. I don't know that I'm right, but that's what if I've John always John Sterling thought. tells you to jump off a bridge, do you do it? Well, depends what bridge you're talking about. Brooklyn Bridge, maybe. Get a couple sightseeings going on. I have there. a great book about the Brooklyn Bridge, yeah. by the way, and the way it was built. It's fascinating. Yeah. So if they're 30 and 10, then that means that they played 40 games. Yes. 500 at 40 games is 20 and 20. That would put them at 10 games over 500. But at 30 and 10, they can afford to lose 20 straight games and still be at 500. So does that mean that they're actually 20 over 500? That is why I've viewed it as that point. This has bothered me forever. What is your thought on it? I don't know. But I've flunked algebra. You, you, but it's bothered you. You don't have one of those. It's two bothered s- me because I can't find a solution to it. Okay. Not that you agree with one, and now you're like, confused. Like I, I know am. this is going to stun everybody listening. I like I most things I, I see in very like A and B. Like I have very little gray area in my life. Right. Like I'm always like, no, it's this way. It is absolutely this way. Right. So. This one bothers me because there's no, it's definitively this way. Eddie Garrison is literally doing jumping jacks, and he's been one aspirin from a coma for an hour and a half. So I'd like to know what's got what's on his mind. So if the Yankees were 70 and 30 through 100 games, they'd be 40 games over 500 because 500 would be 30 and 30. It's not based on the number of games you played. It's based on the number of losses you have. So 70 and 30 you know are 40 games over. Correct. That's what I, okay. What'd you say? But if they're, they're 70 and 30. Yep. 500 would be 30 and 30. But their winning percentage is 70. This from right? this from deleted Reddit username on Reddit, because apparently this is a big debate amongst the baseball community. This person says, definitely definitive, right? It is the number of games they would have to lose in a row to fall to 500. Okay. Therefore, they are X games above 500. I, that, I mean, that's I, I'm not debating you guys on it. I'm just saying I think the other one is equally plausible. I would Mathematically agree. Mathematically speaking. Yes. I was trying to mathematically be... speaking. I think the other way is correct. Let me give the sarcasm uh, description to the radio audience. Uh, that's what I was playing off of there. That no, it's not definitive because a Reddit user says that. But that's how I've always understood it: is the games you'd have to lose in a row to get to 500. The other side, though, does every make t- equal every time sense. I go to that Reddit, I can't read the full comment. It, it, like I, I do it, and then like a little red envelope or, or a red <laughs> oval comes up, and it says "Continue on web" or because I don't have a Reddit account, yeah. I don't want to get a Reddit account because I don't want the government spying on me. I get very concerned about you have all a Twitter this account. Stuff. I, I, don't think they can get you with the uh, that, with Twitter. No, that, that changed with X. <laughs> Right? You're protected it's, now? It's now safe. Yes, that's correct. It is now safe. Uh, by the way, the dean of writing about the Colts and talking about the Colts today in Philadelphia getting set Thursday night against the Eagles. Practice today. Fights breaking out. Running backs holding out. Mike Chappell joins us in 15 to talk about all of it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I believe Scott said he likes ZZ Top. I always thought, by the way, apparently it's a misnomer, I always thought ZZ Top was named for uh, Zigzag and Top's Rolling Papers. 
Were you crushed to find out that wasn't the case? I, uh, apparently, it has something to do with they said like they're both the top of the alphabet and Z's the they're, they're A to Z. I don't know, like the Amazon thing. I don't know. Um, you had mentioned uh, Friday. Now, are you with me Friday? I am with you Friday. So we get to see Twiggy. Is that right? Yes. For the a, promo earlier, he's a water skiing squirrel. Yep. I, I I kid you not, and and I'm excited about being out there. But I think, if I'm not mistaken, I got to check my email here. I, I think they sent me an email that said that Twiggy's available for interviews, and and I I didn't. You know what I mean? I wasn't sure how that works. Is this like a callback to Letterman, where it's like strange or cool pet tricks, and like the handler of Stupid Twiggy pet is, tricks is, is the greatest is going to be there? Like we going to just have a pan over shot to a. Uh... I'm looking here. It, literally, I think it said. Uh, Twiggy is available for interviews. I, I mean, that it's listen, it's one thing that he water skis, yeah, but like if he water skis and does interviews, have media availability afterwards. Now we're really on to something here, right? You know, I think it'd be great. Yeah, here's a here's a video of him water skiing. I think it would be great since it's, the show is your namesake. You should have that one on one privilege with, <laughs> with Twiggy. I'll clear, I'll clear out. I just went to a GoPro shot. Twiggy there. the water skiing squirrel. Twiggy and his handlers can come to the interview. I'm already impressed. I want to get Twiggy on, on the interview. Here's the thing. I'm actually pro squirrel. I think squirrels get a bad rap. I think chipmunks get a bad rap. Is there an anti-squirrel league? Oh, of course. Not Maybe not. Do you know Do you know bird watchers, bird feeders? I'm familiar with, with bird watching, yes. There sure. are people that go out and buy like entire cases of Crisco to do nothing but grease up their bird feeder things in order to keep the squirrels off. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we had very one. Very opposed to squirrels we, in the yard. We had one growing up. Uh, it was a, the, the bird feeder had like the metal circular railing where the bird could sit and eat the food. Right. But if it was over a weight limit, it would spin to throw the squirrel off yeah see that's what i mean people are anti-squirrel yep Yep. okay Uh, trust me there's been squirrel (laughs) bias like for years you know what i mean like there's been like squirrelism kind of to an extent like people are there's been absolutely and so i they're going door to door trying to ways around us i get it i I like squirrel i think they're cool i think they're fun to watch they're look at chipmunks i think are cool even though they do dig large tunnels throughout like your entire yard and screw up everything and they i mean they're they're nuisances, but they're cute. Right? Our dogs chase down a chipmunk about every week, yes. and it is smart enough to hide in this one spot on the sh- edge of a shed that they can't get up to. Yeah, I think it just taunts. Well, them that's and what plays I mean. I mean, like they're kind of badasses, right? Squirrels. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, let alone like flying around and jumping around stuff. I think they're cool. I'd like to have a pet squirrel. When I was in college, um, I lived next door to, so I lived next door to Pat Knight in college. And he he was a fan of exotic animals. And and one day, Pat got the brilliant idea that he was going to get a pet flying squirrel. Now, a flying squirrel doesn't actually fly. A flying squirrel has essentially like um, it, its its arms have like this long flap of skin that basically look like a cape. They now have flying squirrel suits for people that are like extreme stunt with the same thing Correct. it's designed the Correct. same way with like that, that little like that, that the fabric red, extends yeah, like, like their the, skin does the red bull guy yes. that jumps out whatever yep. right yep. so so we go one night pat gets this wild scheme that he decides he wants a flying squirrel and so we we load up the the car and we drive out to some like guy that lives out in the middle of like an edgewood and i, I thought for a brief moment we might die <laughs> and we go, and I'll, I'll never forget, 
he, he lived in a like a trailer and then had chain link fenced off areas with different exotic animals. This is probably highly illegal, right? And and, and I'm a, an animal guy, so like I probably should have frowned upon it, but I was so in awe of all of this. So as he's as Pat as we go into this trailer, which smelled like a squirrel, but he was selling flying squirrels. And he says we hear this loud, and it was night, and we hear this horrific, like this loud roaring noise, and I'm like, oh my god, like what in the hell was that? And the guy says, oh, that's our my Siberian tiger. Do you want to meet her? As you do, yeah. yeah. And so he goes out, and he's got a fenced-in area with a Siberian tiger, and he gets in and is like wrestling around with the thing, and he's like, come on in here and play. She's just a big kitty cat. And I'm like, no, I'm good, I'm good, like full size. So we bought the flying squirrel. I I don't remember. I don't know what the going rate was, uh, and named him Rocky appropriately. And Rocky was cool, but the problem was Rocky was nocturnal. You don't think about these things, right? So, like, you'd be asleep at night, and, and we I say that we were neighbors. We ended up knocking the entire wall down of our apartment and making it one big combo apartment. So, And then we had Greg Brady love beads in between so that you could walk back and forth. And so when anybody would walk through the beads, you would hear them, the, the, the chatter of the beads. They were like wind chimes. Well, Rocky would do this all night. So, you you, you know, you got a big exam in the morning, whatever. Everybody's, you know, hey, guys, I, you know, I got a big test tomorrow. Let's get some sleep. <laughs> and then Rocky, the damn thing's running all over and he's flying all over the place. And he would go up like in the drapes and then jump. So he doesn't actually fly. He just leaps and glides across. Well, he would do that and crash into stuff. And But he was cool. How he long was, was his stay? Well, that's the problem. <laughs> Sorry that uh, you asked, Jimmy, but I will let you know, and I'm an animal lover, but unfortunately, um, unbeknownst to us, and Rocky was nocturnal. Yeah. So Rocky would sleep during the day, not unlike myself for the better part of my life. Yeah. Uh, but we had forgotten to inform the, see, see the, the apartment where we lived, the, the maintenance guy was cool with the fact that we'd knocked the entire wall down and made it into one big luxury condo. So long as we repaired that at the end of the school year, which we did, but we forgot to let a note, we forgot to leave a note for the maintenance guy who came in for the varmint control. And he didn't know Rocky was there because it was the daytime. So Rocky was off hiding and sleeping, but he's doing the spray for varmint control. Mm. So unfortunately, Rocky didn't. That's tough. He was a lot like some of the kids from smaller Southern Indiana schools that he didn't make it to the second semester. (laughs) unfortunately <laughs> but rocky was cool i always felt bad about it though you know you think mike chapel will enjoy talking about this kind of stuff i think that's exactly what chap gets up in the morning for uh i don't want to be the one to break it um to people on the youtube chat saying that anthony richardson is currently at an indianapolis hospital but i believe that anthony richardson is with the colts in philadelphia correct we sometimes yeah we sometimes have nefarious actors every now and again in the youtube chat that's how it goes but, but right? we love them you know they're there uh mike chapel by the way is going to join us. Uh, this from uh, on the YouTube chat. Jake is not a storyteller. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean I'm a good one. I'm a storyteller. I just told a story. That actually makes me a storyteller. I wanted that story one. ending with an epic, like, just one last dive I mean, for, for Rocky, not would, poison got him in the I, morning. I would have I liked to have had that story in that way as well. Mike Chappell next. I'm sure. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Sure, Mike Chappell loves being brought into Vanilla Ice. <laughs> Vanilla Ice, when this song came out, 
my senior year in high school, I mean, people were like, oh my gosh, just the greatest thing ever. And then his follow-up was Play That Funky Music White Boy, which is the worst song ever. <laughs> and then, I don't know, like within three weeks after that, he was wearing Zuba pants and was on Celebrity Rehab. I think that's one hit wonder is the grand terminology used there. Uh, undoubtedly. Well, it tried, one and a half hit wonder, I guess, is probably the best way to say sure. it. Because the second one was a half a hit. But uh, joining us now on the hotline... Mike Chappell, of course, with CBS4, has been covering the Colts throughout this process. Mike, uh, I will give you actually, not dealer's choice, but but um, player's choice. Would you like to start with Anthony Richardson or Jonathan Taylor? Uh, Jonathan Taylor. Well, lost chap for a second. See, my head, my headsets. This, did you think this, it was yours? That was your yeah. headset that did that? Do we still have Mike? <laughs> no, I think we lost chap momentarily. Okay, we'll we'll get him back on the line. We'll try to get Chap back. How's that? I was um, going to throw in also the fights that went on too. I'm sure Chap just wants to talk about that. You think Mike Chappell's ever been in a fight, like a fist of cuffs? Because I've in I a never, fight outside of like brother fights. Yeah, I've never Beach been in Grove. a Beach Grove. Are you kidding me? He's probably in a fight last Thursday. <laughs> Beach Grove bowling alley. Do they still allow 24 hour smoking at the Beach Grove bowling alley? Is this still 24 hours? No idea. Yeah. There was a. It is. I forgot Eddie was still here. Uh, the the Beach Grove Bowling Alley is a 24-hour. You can go bowling at like 3 in the morning. I can do that now. Hey, Mike. Right? I think we got now, Eddie, is it still smoking in there? I don't know. I don't think okay. so. Okay. I'll, I'll uh, get you on the yeah. One of the old school places that allowed that. Uh, do you want to ask Mike Chappell now that we have him back whether or not he's ever been in a fight? Chappell, you ever been in a fight, a fisticuffs in your life? No. Uh, no, I kind of stand and watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could have done that today, right? <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, All right. I, just, I heard Anthony Richardson sort of said, yeah, he said you want to be a competitor and defend your teammates. But, you know, no, I, no you, you need to kind of pick your fights, and I've not found one I want to fight yet. Okay, so you said Jonathan Taylor is where you wanted to start, so tell me why you chose that over Anthony Richardson. Well, because Richardson's going to be here. <laughs> we, we know that. So I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this Jonathan Taylor situation you know it i i said this is like in college when i took debate they they sort of gave you a topic and you had to argue it whether you agreed or not this is one that if they gave me either one of these to argue i could argue it's it's difficult to resolve something when both sides have very good valid points and they do but at the end of the day <clears throat> The Colts are going to play September 10th, and they're going to have a running back, whether it's Jonathan Taylor or not. So at some point, each side has to understand what the end game can be, and are you willing to, to be the guy on the outside? I just At some point, it seems like Jonathan Taylor has to decide how far are you going to take this. Mike, to me, what is curious is this, and I'm going to – I think it was a little bit of gamesmanship, but I wanted your expertise to, to go further on this. I was curious of the wording. When it comes out, the report that the Colts have granted permission to Jonathan Taylor to seek a trade, a, a trade is not facilitated by the player. Uh, you know, I, Unless the agent is calling around to find out whether or not there's somebody that's interested, and then he suddenly sends like the group email that's like, "Hey, guys, wanted to get everybody on the same page here and introduce right. you." Have you? Is that? Am I a moron, or is that? Well, yes, but is, is that new? The whole like we are allowing you to seek a trade. I think that's the new part of this. They've listened. I mean, if someone calls you, listen. I don't care who it's for. 
whether it's Shaq Leonard or Forrest Buckner or whomever, you, you listen because maybe somebody just blows you out of the water. I think the different dynamic is that they have told his agent, hey, go out there. If you can find something, bring it back and let us know. This could simply be, you know, because it's been by about a month ago where Jim Irsay said, not trading him, not today, not in October. That's changed to where, where and I think they were always willing to listen. But here, I think that maybe this is a concession by the team that that it's gone to the point that, hey, if you think you can find something, go see it. it they're really sort of giving him a chance to, to to prove there's more out there than what people think is out there. And there's, you know, people need to keep in mind, but, you know, I was told that they, they're going to want a one or something equivalent to a one. But but it, 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 at some point, maybe maybe they came up, come off of those demands and they'll take a two or something. But because, again, I, I don't know how this goes if he's here this year. It seems like they've really reached the point of no return. But any team that trades for him, a two, a one, two twos, whatever, you would think that they're going to have to sign him to an extension. Well, I, I just don't know which team is going to be willing to give up a high draft pick and give him whatever three years, forty million. I don't know. It's maybe maybe in March that happens. For that to happen in, in August is really difficult because of the, the way teams have their rosters done and their, their cap situation. You know, somebody said, "Well, Dallas could make it work." Yeah, but yeah, but they've got people coming up, Micah Parsons and the quarterback. So I don't know. Uh, maybe this is simply the Colts saying, "If you think you're 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 that valuable, bring us back something and let us know." But you know, something has to be done by next Tuesday. I think it is because that, that's when rosters are cut to fifty-three. Is, is he active? Is he on pup? Which is four games. You know, deadlines spur actions, and that's what we're getting close to is a deadline. Mike, is it possible, as I had talked about earlier, that the Colts have tried every which way but Tuesday to let Jonathan Taylor and his representation know that while they love him as a player and a guy, they can't find it within themselves to find validation that he's worth, say, $16 million in an extension. So after not getting that message through to him, they basically said, you know what, fine, test the market. And, and and now you're going to find out. And then when he comes back, I, you know, isn't this their way of saying to him, you didn't get the message from us, so we'll let right. 31 other teams let you know? Yeah, I think that's the case. Now, what the result of that is, again, does a team come to the Colts and say, we'll give you X, whether it's a one or something lesser, I don't know. But again, what would it take? For Taylor to go to, to agree to a trade and go somewhere else, if if he's not going to get the money, does he want out of town that badly? You know, perhaps. It, it's just crazy how this thing has devolved since April, when we're standing there and he says, "Hey, I I, I would like an extension, but I, I I want to be here, and I you know I put pen to paper, I signed a four year deal. That's my obligation. My goodness, how far we've come from that." So at some point he woke up and said, no, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I deserve to be a top three or four paid running back. And he he's that good. He is. I, I, I kind of chuckle when I see people saying, no, this is just a guy. He's just a, no, he's, he's elite. He is. And the league has devalued running backs, but that doesn't devalue 
his value to, to, to what he brings to the position. So, again, you know, by the way, he's on PUP. He's, it, 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 it's such a strange dynamic where he wants to be paid top of the line, whatever, whatever that is, $13, 14000000 million a year. But he, he's insistent he's hurt. H- how does any team make a trade of, of substance knowing that this guy to this point is, is hurt? I mean, uh, he's telling us he's hurt because he's not practicing. Now, I, I kind of believe sort of that if the Colts give him three years, $40 million today, he practices tomorrow. I, I, I just do. But uh, it seems like really it's, he's in such a difficult situation because he, he wants top money, but he's telling people he's not recovered from a high ankle sprain that he had surgery on in January. The Dean Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4 joins us. Chap, Albert Breer of SI had a column that came out today and addressed a number of different pieces, including the John and Taylor situation and what would be fair compensation for him. I'm not going to ask you to answer this from the Colts' perspective, like what would be fair value for them, but for you, if you're talking with your sources and a deal gets done, optically speaking, the argument of it's better to get something for him than nothing when he walks, would a third and a fifth round pick or just a second rounder straight up be appetizing from an optic standpoint of Jonathan Taylor's value? Yeah, I wouldn't take a three and a five. I mean, to me, that's you're dumping him. You're just saying go. You, you you don't want to be here. Go a two. I would have to think about. I'd love a two. They got a two and a five for Marshall Falk back in the dark ages. <laughs> People, you know, forget that they refused. They weren't going to renegotiate with him, and he wanted a new deal. Two and a five. I would probably do that. I just can't see a team giving a one. I, I, I just can't. But again, would, would they would they be willing to say no? We're going to stand firm on a one or a two and something. Failing that, we're going to make this guy be in our locker room all season. What what kind of atmosphere might that be? Not very pleasant. That doesn't seem like to me. By the way, Mike Peterson, Brad Scioli. That's one right. of my favorite trivia questions, chap. And Pete was pretty good. He was. Mike, he was a good player. Good. And, and he didn't get a contract, and he ended up signing with was it Jacksonville or somebody. Uh, he went to Jacksonville, and then Marcus Washington went to to Washington, Washington. right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and Brad Schioli was a pretty good player. I mean, he was. You know, he, he, he was the old grunt you need to have. So I, I, I just don't know if the, the people I've talked to, they insist they, they won't. They won't just have a garage sale and get rid of him. But that's almost cutting off your nose to spite your face. And, and who wins in that? And, and like I say, by, by Tuesday, he either has passive physical or he stays on pup and he misses at least the first four games. To me, the, 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 the flashpoint is the team saying, we say you are healthy. And Taylor says, no, I'm not. And then what do you do? I was talking to Rick Venturi when it was sort of similar with Eric Dickerson back in, I don't know whether it was 91 or 92, the, the years fade. But he, Dickerson refused to practice, so, so Venturi suspended him. Conduct detrimental to the team. It was like a four or five game suspension. Yeah, it was the 91 was season. Yeah. I think it was reduced to three three, three games, I think. I, I, again, they're fuzzy. But when you do that, then you get other other people involved with the union and all that stuff. And 
that's just, that, that that's the nuclear option of, of, of this is to do that. But, you know, when players have the, the leverage of the hammer, they use it. And when teams have it, they use it. So, again, the timing could not be worse. We've talked about this all offseason. The timing couldn't be worse for Jonathan Taylor. The markets, you know, is a downturn. The team's coming off a four-win season. you got a new coach who, you know, there's a chance that Shane Steichen says, you know, he's a great player, but I don't need a great running back. You know, they had Miles Sanders last year and did, did fine. He had a strong season. So maybe this is Shane Steichen saying, you know, I think it's crazy to invest thirteen, fourteen million dollars on a running back, but but then but then too you've got the injury, you had the surgery, and you know you don't don't you have to prove through a month of practice or a couple of games that you're healthy? Totally for that kind of money, for sure, right? That, that that's the whole thing. So it, all all the things that that could go wrong for the timing of Jonathan Taylor, they have is the imperfect storm for him. And I can say you just have it's, someone has to decide in Jonathan Taylor's camp is how far are they willing to go, and so far it's quite a bit. I mean, keep in mind, three weeks ago was it he, he went to, to work out on his own, and I I can't remember the last time once camp started that a player on, in rehab left left the team to go on his own. If that's not a slap in the face at the team, at the rehab, at the medical staff, I don't know what it is. Mike, let me throw one at you. Mike Chappell, CBS 4, Fox 59, our guest. Let me throw you an outside, like I had this epiphany. I shared it earlier, and I want you to tell me if you think it's the dumbest thing you've ever heard. I've heard a lot of dumb things from you, so go ahead. I know. Well, I know. (laughs) The bar Uh, is very high. Many of them on random phone calls at like 830 at night, right? (laughs) So I always take your calls, buddy. Well, I appreciate that. Um, is it possible, not probable, but is it possible that part of the reason the Colts have decided that Jonathan Taylor is not worth the $16 million, aside from the, the, the economic aspect and the running back devaluation aspect of it, is it possible that, that Shane Steichen in particular – feels that having a running back that is a game-changer like Jonathan Taylor that forces teams to load the box actually would be providing too much of a crutch in the early development of Anthony Richardson and that there's no sense in having him wear an asbestos suit if they're going to make him go baptism by fire? Well, I, I, I would think I, I would think that, that JT has great value to Richardson, to, to his development. I mean, I, I just think it it would take – some of, of some of the and I understand theoretically that's obviously the thought right is you right. want that weapon for him but if they're looking at it and saying look when Anthony Richardson's entering his prime in three to four years Jonathan Taylor ain't going to be there so we might as that's well true. indoctrinate him now to that I wouldn't I, I, I would I would take the opposite approach because I, I want to make the, this is going to be a tough season anyway I don't care what he does Richardson it's going to be a tough season so let's let, let's make his transition more, more, more seamless. I mean, can you just imagine when, when if JT's not here, the, the defensive approach to the Colts is is when they run that RPO, forget about the running back. You know, what's he going to hurt you with? Six or seven yards? You know, focus on the quarterback. And if you've got JT out there, it's different. If you don't pay attention to, to JT, he may go eighty yards on you. Well, Deion Jackson or Zach Moss or whomever is not going to go eighty yards. Right. 
So I, so I, I, I would take the other approach that you. I, I would say let's let's make this as easy as we can. Let's get this offensive line to play. I don't know, five times better than last year. Let's get some from the run, from the receivers, and let's give him a running game that that's not ninety five yards a game and three point six a carry. So I, I I think he brings value to that. But again, how do you value the value? Is is it four point three million? Well, is it eight million Chapman, or is it thirteen? If I'm if I'm Jonathan Taylor's agent or I'm Jonathan Taylor, and this is what's interesting to me, I think the Colts are basically saying to Jonathan Taylor, look. We're going to show you what the market value is because you're, you're about to find out, right? We're going to right. show you what the market value is. But if I'm Jonathan Taylor on the other side of that, I'm saying to the Colts, well, if you're if you're dangling me out there and you're making it clear that you're not going to move me for anything less than a first-round pick, that means in your opinion I'm worth a first-round pick, so pay right. me like one. <laughs> I know. Right? That's the thing. Everything works against each other. You're right. When we talk, when we talk to Jamersay up at training camp – you know, hey, I, I'm hopeful that Jonathan Taylor's here. You know, he, he said, you know, I, I, I go back to when Peyton had Marshall Falk and what they did. Well, all you're doing is bumping up the idea that the, that, that kid is that important to you. But we're not going to pay you yet. And, you know, I'm sure all Jonathan Taylor hears is, well, you're going to work my ass off this year. And then do I have any assurance you're going to pay me next year? And, and the answer is no. So, it, but, but again, it's just he's played three years, and and to think for him to think he's got the leverage of of a five year player, although God they don't have a lot of leverage anymore. It, it's it's just it just it just works against him. It, it seems like, and again, if he starts missing games, that's you know I I I don't know how you stop missing games, and at some point, if he missed enough games, he doesn't he doesn't get that fourth year to where he's a free agent next year and then god we're back here next year that that's that's the the absolute worst case scenario is nothing gets done he misses enough games to where he's not a free agent we do all this again this the, the owner did not put it really well when he said you know if i die and jonathan taylor's not in the league the league goes on he was exactly right per se was but it just comes off sounding poorly that players are disposable well you know players are disposable and it's a sad fact and players don't want to hear it you know this is one reason that they generally have agents when you go to negotiations it can get personal to where a a team will say well we like your guy but you know he's not a great pass blocker he's not this that and the other well you've got the agent to hear that and if you got a good agent he doesn't relay that to the player but but when but when the the player hears things that are negative, it it just and it would it's natural that he takes it to heart that well you don't you don't view me as that you you're you're seeing my negatives. It's like I say, everything is so out of whack, and nothing that has gone on has advanced resolving this well. It just hasn't. And uh, will he be here? I thought he'd be here in September. Now I really think he's going to – I think they'll dump him. I, I think at some point they're going to say, hey, we're done with it. Because I just – the idea of him sitting on on the bench and being at practice and being in that locker room when he's either suspended – if he's suspended, he probably won't be here – or on PUP, I, I just I just question 
what that does to the locker room when you've got one of your top two or three players not playing and and people questioning whether he's healthy or not. Chap, what do you attribute most to Anthony Richardson sitting out against the Bears and starting against the Eagles? I, I guess because they, they practice so much for two days against the Bears. I would have I would have done the ceremonial let him come out of the tunnel and hear the cheers of the crowd and, and play a series or two but not put him in harm's way. And then that's not any any, any better than, than not playing him because what do you get out of it other than it's another thing he can cross off his list. I've been out there. I, I, I've come out of the tunnel. He'll play this week on Thursday, which is good. So every you know, I talked to Peyton Manning. He said every rep is important. You know, there are no bad reps, and he missed probably fifteen reps against the Bears, but they'll move on. Chap, I do have, and I hate to go back to this, another Taylor question because. You often, as as we got to, you have to explain things to me sometimes because I'm not very smart and I don't understand them. And then, <laughs> and yet you've got a radio show. Holy smokes! Well, don't don't say it too loudly. <laughs> I don't I don't want to figure it out here, Mike. Um, two part question, I guess. And the first is, I I understand the financials of it, but it seemed to me that Jonathan Taylor's percolating discontent with the franchise predates when the extension discussions began. So what is the genesis of Jonathan Taylor's discontent with the franchise, and do you believe that his injury right now is legitimate? Uh, I'll take the second part first. I, I, I really have a hard time disagreeing with a player who says he's injured. That's, I mean, how do you know? But the optics just don't add up. I think I think this is a hold in, and that's just me. I'm just from being around it. I I think if he got the extension, he'd be there tomorrow. And if and if he gets a trade or an extension somewhere else, he'll be ready to go. So, and the other part is, I don't think this began when the negotiations didn't go anywhere. I think it began because there were no negotiations. I think the genesis of this is when they met, whenever in the off season, Chris Ballard and and Taylor and and Ballard and whatever the words he uses, listen, you know, we, we you know, as he says, we love Jonathan Taylor, but we're not going to give you an extension, and we want you to play this season out, and then we'll 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 talk when the season's over. I think when when I, that was a flashpoint to me is when they said no, we're not giving you an extension. When up until then, when you know, up until then, they talked and we wrote that. You know, Jay, this is a great time. This is the time that JT and Michael Pittman uh, to, to extend those guys. Now they're two separate cases, but I think when, when reality hit that they were not going to extend him and they weren't even going to talk about it, numbers never came up. We we don't know what he wants because we've never, and that stuff normally leaks out. You know, I've heard three years, forty million, but but I, not from anywhere that, that that I really believe that's a number. But I think at all, everything that went south was when they told him they weren't going to tra- uh, give him an extension, and that's probably when he changed agents. I, I think that that's those things go together. And ever since then, like I said, that that was prior to I put pen to paper, I signed a four-year deal. That's my obligation. Then there had to be, well, that's fine, but we're not going to give you an extension. And then stuff hit the fan, and here we are. 
Mike, what position battle right now is taking place before our eyes with the Colts that we're not noticing because of Richardson Taylor and the other mainstream drama? Well, we 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 paid attention to the local guys, uh, the cor- cornerbacks. You know, with Juju Brents and 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 Dallas Flowers and Darius Rush, we wrote about it. It's just that when when you got the other positions, you know, dominating, but that safety, you know, they've had injury and tight end for crying out loud. They, they've had people that are going to be players for them that haven't practiced. They got a few of those guys back today, Molly Cox and one of the young kids. I get them mixed. I think. I think Drew Ogletree practice and Jelani Woods didn't. And, and they've got some tough decisions at those positions. You know, again, tight end and corner come to mind. Uh, beyond that, I, I think they're set in most places. But when you've got the quarterback and the running back, it, it, it just kind of, like I said, I keep coming back to it, it just sucks the air out of the room because they're so important to the advancement of this team. Chap, to kind of build off that question, how tough is it going to be from a cut-down day standpoint uh, compared to years past when they have to go down to the 53-man roster? I sat yesterday and just quickly went through. I got them down to 43 that I'm really comfortable with. That's 10. That's 10 spots. And one thing that everybody's got to keep in mind, the Colts are fourth in the waiver wire claim business. So when, when teams cut their – Gosh, what's the math? I mean, when they cut 23 players or whatever it is, 33 and 37 or whatever, again, my ball state math isn't helping me out. When all these players get cut, the Colts have the fourth claim on them. I can see Joel Erickson and I keep going back and forth. He thinks five. There could be five waiver claims. That, to me, is a bit high, but I wouldn't be surprised. So there could be four or five guys that probably aren't here yet I've always said the worst day of the year is when these teams make a cut, make make the cut to 53, and some rookie out of wherever makes it. And he calls home and says, Mom, our dream made it. You know, I I made the team. And then the Colts claim somebody, and he's the one that's cut. So uh, I think they're going to be very, very active on the the waiver wire, a lineman or two, uh, a corner, maybe a safety. So they, they're going to find better people on the waiver wire at a couple spots than they're going to keep on the initial cut. I, I believe that. Of the 43 that you came up with, Mike, how many are tight ends? Four. You know, you know I, I was thinking Mo, Jelani, Woods, Drew Ogletree, and, and, and Kylan Granson. And that's probably putting Will Mallory on, on the practice squad if he clears waivers. Yeah. Uh, there, there's probably got there's, there's probably eight or ten tight ends, but that's that's a reflection of three or four of those guys being out for such a long time. And do they, does the roster build at all, Mike Chappell, does the roster build at all in the selecting maybe the final piece or two? Have they seen enough from Shaquille Leonard from a health standpoint to not in any way, shape or form buy themselves insurance there? Or is that still a factor in the roster build? I think they, I think they're convinced that he's, that he's back to where he can play. Now, is he back to an all-pro? Probably not. It didn't help that he got a concussion, but it's really pretty. It, it's I don't want people to take this wrong, but a concussion is a better option than more back issues, although we need to keep in mind that he this is his second or third concussion. So those are those are nothing to, 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 to make light of at all. But I think they've seen enough of him 
that he, he he's back. But again, if you, if you find a linebacker, you know it, it's him and uh, Zaire Franklin and, and EJ Speed, and then some young guys. And if you if somebody's out there that you like better than than the bottom of the roster, you'll bring them in because you've got to have you know linebackers and, and DBs are the guys that are on the 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 the, the in, in special teams. So if they find a linebacker they got, I wouldn't I wouldn't hesitate at all. Now whether that's a reflection of not not thinking Shaq's ready. It might be more just to strengthen the position as a whole. Chap, last thing on my end, when I'm looking as well with the roster cuts and I'm looking at what's going to be available, I think about the never-ending battle between do joint practices matter, do preseason games matter. Shane Steichen told the media today, as we mentioned at the top of the conversation, Anthony Richardson's going to start. For you, who, who needs to start on this team in the final preseason game because he said it's going to be a case-by-case basis for which of the ones are actually getting the starting nod on Thursday night. Well, if they're starting Anthony Richardson, to me, they're starting offensive line plays and, and they play together as long as he's out there. Whether that, I, I don't think Will Fries will be ready. We'll see about Ryan Kelly. Uh, receivers, maybe you go with, with Pittman and Pierce. And, and the, the guy to watch is Josh Downs. He's He's still listed number two as a third receiver behind uh, Isaiah McKenzie. I think Josh Towns has passed him. Defensively, it, it'll be it'll be hit and miss, I suppose. I, I would play my start most of my starters. Let let Divorce Buckner get out there. Maybe it, it depends on how he comes out of out of the joint practice. But all those corners they need to play. So you know, give Juju Brents a, a bunch of snaps. You know, whether Julian Blackman plays or not, I don't know. But I think more starters will play than not play. But, again, I wouldn't I wouldn't play my half. I'd, I'd play them, I don't want to say a quarter or, or series, but like 20 snaps. It's the snaps, not the length of time. So we're gonna, it'll actually look like a game for the first quarter, quarter and a half. Chap, my last question, actually, uh, I wanted you to clarify this. People have asked me about it. Kevin had mentioned it when I was doing the mornings with him. Um, as we were watching practice, I think you might have been sitting there. We were out at Grand Park, and I was observing. It, clearly, we know Richardson's the guy. Clearly, we know Gardner Minshew has done a, a really admirable job of not only when he's played, but I think also of understanding his role. Sam Ellinger's a guy that clearly Jim Irsay likes. What is the new – because people have asked me, they're like, will the Colts actually keep three quarterbacks? And Kevin had made mention of this. There is a new, what, like rule, roster, whatever it might be, that allows for the three that, – that facilitates for three quarterbacks to be carried, correct? Yeah, but he's – for game day to where he doesn't count against your active players, but if something happens, if the extreme happens, he, you can act – he can not activate him because he's dressed, but he can play. But the the only thing is he's got to be on your fifty three. This can't be a practice squad guy that you know, like they always bring up. What is it? Is it two or three practice squad players? Uh, you'd have to he'd have to be in your active roster, which which I assume you can add him to your active roster on Wednesday or Thursday and make him eligible to play. But then again, that, then you can only do that three times in a row. There are there are there are hiccups for that. And will they carry three quarterbacks, or do they feel like they need to? I, I don't know. I, I don't see the where that's going to be so tough to where that fifty-third spot is it? Is it? A, is it Sam Ellinger, or is it another corner or defensive lineman? It doesn't seem like this team is that deep 
to where that spot's going to hurt you. So maybe they keep Sam. I I, I don't think – and I tell you, I love Sam Ellinger. And he's such a good influence on this team. But it wouldn't stun me if he's on the practice squad. But neither would it surprise me if he's on the, if he's on the 53 because he's got value. Either way, plenty to cover, plenty to write about, and plenty of fights to watch. So we'll let you get back to exactly that, Mike. But I appreciate the time, as always, today, man. Good talking to you. Thanks, Mike. Stay in touch, guys. All right, Mike Chappell again, CBS4 and Fox 59. The dean, if you will, the the one guy that's been covering them from the time that the Mayflower trucks arrived. Uh, We'll take a break. I've got another question for you, Jimmy, that's not mathematical when we come back. Is that fair? Good, because I'm not any better than you are in that category okay good well that's trust it's me, scary get, for us all get, i know but. get me worse right <laughs> square company here in the fan whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you <laughs> i had a buddy in High school buddy of mine, Mike Dunn, I don't know what fraternity he was in at Purdue, but he came back after our first semester of our freshman year of college and had his entire fraternity at like a Christmas party at his house, and they they had some line dance they had done to that song. (laughs) And it was actually pretty cool for like the first minute or two of it, and then after that it was horribly uncomfortable to watch them do it. I had a buddy that got married on the 21st of September, and that song played a heavy part into the the process of the ceremony. And then um, I'm a big, like, Marvel guy. Like, I have definitely nerdy tendencies to me, so I love, like, Disney immersive rides, and there's a new Guardians of the Galaxy ride at Disney World. A rotation of different songs from that era one of them is September Birth Winter It was Fire. the SIG apps at Purdue. My cousin Doug was in it. I don't know if that means that Doug does the same somewhat embarrassing dance. We'll find out, I guess, <laughs> at Thanksgiving. Um, all right, Jimmy, you got some uh, some activity to watch for for tonight? Got some good bets today, I think. All right. Well, here we go. Now, there's a sounder for this, right? See, I'm new to this program, so you got to bear with me. Your name's not literally on the wall, but 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 it is on the wall. So I I'm glad that we've got you reacquainted with this. That's right. Particular liner. It's all baseball tonight. We're gonna take the Atlanta Braves lay one and a half on the run line as they host the New York Mets. Also gonna take the Houston Astros outright on the money line over the Boston Red Sox. This one just for Eddie. Give me the Cincinnati Reds on the money line over the Los Angeles Angels. And then last one. They're not going anywhere. They're not making the playoffs. But some kids have been called up. I'm ready to get hurt again. Give me the New York Yankees to one of the money line. That means, over the um, Washington Jake, if you have a mortgage payment, put it on the Angels because when Jimmy bets the Reds, the Reds lose. Really? More, no statement. more tragic than a week they ago. Haven't won. They Where? haven't won a game that he's bet on them since the Kansas City Royals. I'm like 80% confident. Where no, are the Reds playing? The, the, uh, that the matchup Angels. is in, yeah, in Anaheim. And I meant the... Uh, Kansas City Royals. I think I said Orioles for a second. No more tragic than last week or two weeks ago when they were up four to one. And jokingly with Eddie, I was like, "Lock everything down on the Reds. They're yes. minus sixteen hundred. It is safe. It is fine." And no sooner did we get to our desk that a couple of middle middle fastballs uh, put that one to have bed. The, I'm not even trying to be funny. I I didn't look actually. Have any of the Southern California games been postponed or rained out? Uh, yesterday's was postponed to tomorrow. So they have a doubleheader tomorrow against the Angels. Okay. 
And then the Dodgers were also postponed yesterday. I knew, yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I saw shots of Dodger Stadium. And yeah. Have you been to Dodger Stadium? I've not. It's on the list. Oh, man. Eddie? I've been there, but I haven't been there for a game. If you go to Dodger Stadium, here's my one tip. If you go to Dodger Stadium, if you ever go to a Dodger, anybody listening, if you ever go to a Dodger game, no watch out for the fencing in right field. What's that? I said, watch out for the fencing in right field. What's the fencing? It's a Yankees right deep cut. It's not important. I'm sorry. Continue. You're right. It's not. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> charge so I go to Dodger, Dodger Stadium, 1996, yeah. 95-96. Do you watch out for the fencing in right field? I watched. Uh, <laughs> I was behind the plate actually, and I watched Kevin Elster of the Padres pick up two chicks. In the stands. Really? He was really impressive. He wasn't playing or anything. <laughs> but picked up two chicks. He uh, sent, They were sending messages back and forth. Obviously, in 95, I think it was, right? So you were writing stuff down like Bull Durham. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Have you, you remember on that note? That was supposedly. Wrote, you remember what he said on that note when he wrote the first time he got a note um, from uh, Susan Sarandon and Bull Durham? You're not going to believe this. I've it's, never sat down and watched Bull Durham all the way Seriously? Through. Yeah. It's blank time, is what he wrote. And he sent it with Scotty back to Susan Sarandon's character in the stance, who was evaluating his play. And it worked out, right? I think ultimately, I think she went with Nuke Lelouch first. <laughs> she read him poetry. So Kevin Elster's the one that, that it worked Kevin out Kevin Elster. Okay. Yeah. Look up Kevin Elster, 1995. I think that's, that's the year, but man. Yeah, he pulled two out of the stands right there. That is impressive. Yeah. Uh, if you ever go to Dodger Stadium, besides pulling women out of the stands, which also... Fine. I think Kevin Elster was noted for pulling a lot of really? chicks out of the stands over his career, too. Yeah. I don't think that was the first time he go did that. Go to the very top. If you're at Dodger Stadium, you go to the very the top level and walk out right behind home plate. You just walk out, and it's the most unbelievable view of the stadium before you. And then you turn around, and there's downtown LA oh, right behind awesome. you. It's awesome. I sat behind Lance Ito at that game too. Really? Yes. I'll tell the story. Did you talk to Lance Ito? I did not. I just sat behind him. I had a great time out there, though. What a good time! I love LA. What What year was that? Either '95 or '96. That was like peak Lance Ito fame, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he so was probably it was a good time. Jay, I like, sent a uh, audition. Tape. Here's what's funny. Here's I, what's funny. Yeah. They're rapping me because I've got to get to JMV's show, and I'm like, "Well, he's the one talking." <laughs> I sent an audition tape to KROQ and to KTLA and a couple of stations out there. It was the worst audition tape of all time. I listen to it now, and it's awful. I can't believe I sent it. Did out. you get a callback? Oh, of course not. I got a letter back that said, "It might as well said you suck really bad, but this is a nice letter we're going to send to you." <laughs> the modern we're going yeah. with a different direction uh, email. We're, yeah, we're inspired we're, by we're the fact that you're from Indiana. and Thought you had a shot, yeah, but they should have just said, "You know what, you hillbilly, come yeah. on." Hey, how great is LA though, man? Yeah, no doubt, See you LA guys. is the best. Uh, that is JMV. You're going to hear him next, actually, uh, Jimmy. Tomorrow, um, and I want to say this real quick. Obviously, it's a little odd that that here it is week one, and I'm off tomorrow. I'm only slightly affronted. It's okay but to worry about. I know. It. Well, that's because you know. I mean, I had I have a trip I'm taking tomorrow that was planned a long time ago because I assumed I was getting off work at ten, um, and they were nice enough to allow me to do that during this transition. Well, so, you enjoy it then. You guys have fun tomorrow. John, have fun up next. Right, JMB's up next. Thanks for listening. Here, it's ninety three five one zero seven five. The fan. 